Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themes, theories, and more. And before we dive into our initial reactions of Iron Flame, emphasis on initial, like (laughs) insert all the screams and squeals here. We do, as always, want to let you know about a content warning. Today's Fantasy Fangirl spoiler warning is in two parts, so please listen closely. The first part of this podcast episode is going to be a plot spoiler-free conversation. What we mean by that is we are going to still share general sentiments and observations, but nothing Nothing that will give away the story itself. So think of it just as your regular review, right? And then the second part, we are going to give a very big, gigantic spoiler warning before jumping into the entire book where everything from Iron Flame is on the table. So for example, if you don't know why the book is called Iron Flame... Listen to the first 10 minutes. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be delightful. But then when we switch over, hard stop for you. Leave the conversation. Go read slash listen to the book and come back because we will still be here. And as always, we are adults who say adult things about an adult book. We will be talking about the sex bet. That's all I'm saying for now. Before we dive into our reactions to Iron Flame, we have a few quick reminders for you all. Fantasy Fangirls is now officially on Patreon in case you missed it. We will be doing our very first live Q&A for Patreon members only. It's for both tiers, but for Patreon members only this Saturday. When she says this Saturday, she means tomorrow, November 11th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you also want more bonus content, if you also want an entire discord, which is just packed with people who are freaking out over this ending of this book. We do have spoiler sections. So if you have not finished the book, well, we still want you to have some caution. You are so welcome in there to go in and talk about the book with others who have not finished it either. Honestly, I'm amazed by our Discord. They have been so good about keeping the spoiler things and the spoiler channels. Like, bravo to you all. You deserve so many gold medals. You also get (laughs) things like voting privileges. You also get early access to episodes and so much more. We have two tiers available. All the information is on our Patreon page, which is the link in the show notes. That's all of our announcements today. We wanted to keep it short because, holy God, we have a lot to talk about. So now it's time to be a spoiler-free second year. What a jam-packed book, Nicole. We are like barely scraping the surface today as Nicole and I share our initial reactions of key plots and characters from Iron Flame. Before we even kick it off with our spoiler-free thoughts on this book, I just want to take a moment and appreciate the fandom's excitement for this release. It has been so much fun. So many of us haven't felt this much anticipation and thrill over a book since the Harry Potter Midnight releases 15 or so years ago, where we've all been collectively theorizing and getting ready for this big event, whether it's going to the midnight release parties or having a particularly cozy week of reading. I know a lot of you took work off. If you weren't able to, everyone is just collectively so excited and talking about this book wherever they are in the book. And it's just been so much fun and special that we all get to share this together in a way that's very nostalgic. It makes me very hopeful for the future of books. You know, it's it's just so much fun. Last thing I'll say on this too is just the midnight release party that Nicole and I went to in Denver. Speaking for myself, it was a core memory. And I might actually start choking up here if I go too far into it. But we got to meet so many fans. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming to celebrate alongside us, for doing trivia with us, for giving us friendship bracelets, for like 
just everything. It was so wonderful. For showing us your bearded dragon. Shouts to you, Phoenix. You will forever live in my heart. Everyone, I'm going to echo Lexi. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my entire life. And it's solely because getting to connect with you all in a fa- in a face-to-face level was just surreal. Absolutely surreal. And we know a lot of you have asked for things like live episodes or live recordings and live shows and us doing those in the future. Yes, it's very much on our mind. But the fact that that was just kind of like the first step in the door of like, oh my God, there's there's actually people on the other end <laughs> was just so special. And we love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being there. All right. Let's just kick this off with a simple spoiler-free question. Nicole, did you like the book Iron Flame? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I fucking loved this book. Is it as good as Fourth Wing to me? For a while while reading, I was like, oh my God, I think that this is better. There were a few spots where I was like, okay, maybe this is a little slower than I was expecting. So I'm going to ding it down, at least for right now, just to say that they're equal to me. And that's high praise because I gave Fourth Wing a five out of five. I'm also giving Iron Flame a five out of five. It filled so many plot holes for me from book one, like so many. And there was way more than I thought we were ever going to get in in this book. Well, which brings me to the biggest critique, I'm going to put that in air quotes, that I've seen from people on the interwebs, and that is pacing. Some people are kind of bummed that they felt like it moved too fast. Some people were like, oh my God, this is breakneck speed, da 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 Yes, it was a fast-moving book. And yes, that there were some moments with some characters or some places that I wish we'd had a little bit more time to flush out. For being bummed about it, I'm not. I'm not at all bothered by the pacing of this book. It actually felt really natural natural given the fact that this is actually only a six month period versus the first year, which which we already knew going into this book, but versus the full year of Fourth Wing. At first, I was nervous though. We have three more books. But what this tells me is that this world, this universe, this story that Rebecca has planned for us is so much bigger, so much more complex, so much more vast than we ever thought it was going to be. Book five is going to be a different experience that I ever would have imagined. And I'm so excited for it. And I actually want to pull something that Snarly Carly, which great name, by the way, on our discord, they said it's like comparing reading the second Throne of Glass book and then comparing it to book eight in Throne of Glass. This is totally Throne of Glass, spoiler free, but you never have expected it to be an eight book series ever. I'm only four books in and I'm still like, how the hell is this eight books? It's going to be the same with this series. And I feel like so excited for that because now it's like the bets are off like bets are off the table I have no idea what to expect this is so jam-packed and I love that it's so unknown many thought that this was going to be a filler book I'm very glad that they were wrong because I don't think anyone could classify this as a filler book I know that was you I'm very glad you were wrong other things I'll say on this the part one versus part two so again not giving out any plot spoilers whatsoever but these this book is divided into two parts they felt very very separate. And actually in a Variety article with Rebecca, she did like all about like post Iron Flame spoilers and all that kind of stuff. She said that she was originally just wanting part one to be Iron Flame. That was the book. And her editor talked her out of it. And honestly, I'm really glad she did. I really enjoyed these books being together. I love it when books section them into two and sometimes even three parts. But I really liked it this way. Here's the one thing I will say about the part one versus part two. I think I preferred part one 
two part two until a very specific part in part two. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm along for the ride. (laughs) Only other thing I'll say on this in the spoiler free section, something I noticed is the writing style, specifically the chapters length, way different. In fourth wing, chapters were long, like too long. In my opinion, they were so long. I think chapter 36 is a full hour in the audiobook in fourth wing. In Iron Flame, chapters are way shorter, sometimes about four to five pages, which I found very interesting. I do wonder if like the chapter blurbs that we get at every single chapter, like we did in fourth wing. I wonder if Rebecca just wanted a lot more of those in there, which makes a lot of sense. Loved those. Same. And so I wonder if that was the big reason for making chapters so much shorter. And I didn't mind it. It was a little jarring, but I kind of wish that there was like a happy medium that we could find but for more chapter blurbs I'm not mad about it that's my opinions again with the spoiler free stuff before I just absolutely start combusting and screaming into this microphone Lexi will you take the mic and give the your answer to the same question which is did you like this book absolutely I did absolutely I did I can't say if I liked Iron Flame more than Fourth Wing yet I need to read it again when all this new shiny newness has worn off a little bit I'll say that they're a little bit hard to compare side to side they are very different books with different pacing and each have very unique areas where they really shine and a few areas where they don't shine and it's like obviously they are an apples to apples comparison because they're in the same universe that we have the same characters and yet they're two completely different books where it's really hard to compare them like that my initial reactions are I like because I'm so excited about it I'm giving it a five out of five however I wouldn't be surprised if that might get knocked down a little bit just after we do the deep dive not as anything against it but just like after I absorb it a little bit more and work through some of the areas that I had some big questions on some confusion on I'll I'll leave it at that yes there were some moments like I just mentioned that had me raising my eyebrows and overall it was way more action-packed and fast-paced than I expected but it all worked together very very well I am not mad at all that it was not a filler book. As a reader, I was able to keep up with the fast pace opposed to sometimes when as a reader, you do feel left behind and like you're just trying to play catch up. Like what the hell is going on here in this book? And I felt like I was always able to keep up. Like, yes, definitely need to read it again, but not in a what the hell is happening kind of way. More of just a I need to pull out some of those details because there is so much in the book. I think that it was just such a great sequel. Fourth Wing is definitely the setup book to a series that is so much more expansive than we could have imagined, like Nicole just said. I love that. Like, I have no idea how this is only book two of five. Like, it <laughs> I know. really and truly, there were several books in one here, again, as Nicole was just talking about. But that's part of the excitement of how much bigger this journey is than we all thought here. Another thing, while this book was far from predictable, of course, there were some predictable moments, especially considering how much we as a fandom have been theorizing and predicting. Like, obviously, some of us were going to get things right. I'm very glad that Nicole and I did get some things right, even if we have big old eggs on our faces (laughs) on other things. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. It was a fantastic balance of seeing a prediction play out on the pages and then boom, Boom, there's always a unique twist to it that makes us go, oh, a lot of our questions were answered. But then for every answer, another question pops up. And just like as someone who just loves all the lore and world building and all of the expansiveness of these books, I just I love it. I ate all of that up here. And I'm so excited to just start firing off all of my questions when we get to the spoiler section. This like <laughs> last thing I'll say here is this book was quite the emotional journey. And there is so, so much in it. I'm not just a little bit. I am absolutely terrified for this deep dive that we're going to do. So many of our listeners have been like, how the hell are you going to do this? And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. know. But here's what I 
do need to remember is like going into fourth wing, first and foremost, I had already read fourth wing like four times before you and I started doing our deep dive. I'm, I mean, I'm literally just getting the audiobook on repeat right now because I'm just trying to like get anything, mostly if anything, for easy searchability because I have I have the hard copy, I have the ebook, and I have my audiobook now. Me too. <laughs> is because of that reason, I, I want to have the, audi- the audiobook just on like constant repeat so that if I need to look up something for the podcast, it's easy to do. But also, I am very nervous, but then I also need to remember, okay, what was it like going into fourth wing? I had read that book many, many times, and I was still nervous. I was still very nervous going into fourth wing. Now, to be fair, we didn't have tens of thousands of listeners when we started. <laughs> I was just going to say, so it's, it's a little different, different now. <laughs> I am very nervous, and yet... We are going to get things wrong just like we did with fourth wing. Like, I hope everyone knows that we are humans at the end of the day. But I also trust that we're going to get the source material down just like we did with fourth wing. And that is going to take some time. <laughs> Hence the November 20th start date. I think that we also we're going to be processing this book and all of the knowledge as we go through it, which again is going to be a little bit different from fourth wing as well. As we talk about theories, as we talk about analyzing it, we don't have as much fallback like we did with fourth wing with all of social media and their theories. And of course, the Reddit rabbit hole and all of that. So this is going to be a very different journey for us and for our listeners, but it's going to be one that we're all taking together and we are so excited. And hopefully we can bring you some peace from this book. And that's all we'll say. (laughs) I don't know about that, but okay. (laughs) Well, speaking of which. Let's be done with our spoiler-free conversation. If you have not finished Iron Flame, this is our polite request, polite but very firm request to leave. Leave now. We promise we'll still be here for you when you do finish the book. Do you think they're gone? I I don't know. Last chance. Are they gone? I'm going to think they're gone. Because if you don't know that Nicole was right, then leave. You go finish that marvelous book, but I'm going to finally talk about it. Okay, can I just say three words here? And you better have finished this book by the time I say these three words. Jack fucking Barlow. (laughs) As soon as I finished chapter 25, which wasn't even the biggest reveal yet, but as soon as I finished chapter 25, I was like, Oh my God, I have the biggest egg on my face right now. If you don't know, Nicole and I are going to keep using this phrase, egg on your face means that you essentially were convinced that something was right and then you ended up being wrong. And it's just like, it's just kind of like a, like it's owning it that you were wrong. And it's our way of having fun with the fact that we were so wrong. I was so wrong. We were both, we have some major eggs on our face (laughs) i would have like literally bet maybe not my children's lives but like i really like i died on the hill that jack barlow died like i was like that was my hill to die on and r.i.p to me apparently there's so much we need to discuss and before i just start absolutely screaming into the microphone i'm gonna go back to our outline i can't believe this fucking book it wrecked me sideways friends it's time to get the wards up let's dive in let's start at part one and we're gonna work our way up here i foresaw part one being essentially all of iron flame i had really predicted that it was going to be a book focused on learning about the knowledge about really our characters here coming together and learning the truth and really like the revolution continuing to build up and all of that. And that really was part one of this book here. And we just thought that was going to be the book, right? I'm not going to say that would have been enough. I loved that. I loved that we got part two. But like part one was a fucking roller coaster. 
And it would have been enough to like satisfy a fandom for sure. Yes. Like Violet trying to uncover secret knowledge and more of our characters learning the truth. The long distance challenges Vi and Zayden face, the drama with the news vice commandant. You know, when it turned out that it was just part one, like I remember like reading this book, it's like, how am I only halfway through? (laughs) It was like wondering what the holy moly, like what else can happen in this book? I really also loved part two, but I'm leaning towards part one, maybe being a little bit more of my favorite. Um, We'll we'll get into some more of the part two parts here in a second, but as much of a death trap that Bezgaeth is, it was nice to be back in that familiar setting with our favorite squad, especially after the disorientation from the end of Fourth Wing. And it was nice to kind of go back there and have that centering and have us all collectively reset, even with the new landscape at Bezgaeth here. So it was very, very necessary for us to even get to part two. So here's what I will say. I, you know, you and I got back from the midnight premiere. I sat on my couch. It was like 1.30 in the morning. I did not move for 20 hours other than to like go to the bathroom. I did not move for 20 hours. I did this entire book in one sitting, but Brett comes out at like 7 a.m. whatnot. I'm at the like absolute fucking craziness that is chapter 25 to chapter 36. And Brett comes out and I have like like these like wild Tasmanian devil eyes. And he's like, did you sleep at all? And I was like, shut up. (laughs) Jack fucking Barlow is alive. And like, I had no chill, but literally I'm so glad I did it all in one sitting. I did not touch social media basically for those 20 hours because I was like, I am not getting anything spoiled. But I was so tired by the end that I was fuck. I literally had to reread the whole like Zayden's event in part twice because I was like, I'm delirious. I did not just read that. That is not real. <laughs> I-, I did not stay up all night because I had children to care for on Tuesday as well. So Nicole was like way ahead of me. And it's like, how are you this far? Like, and I, asked, I said something and it's like, she mentioned having not slept. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Have you literally been on that couch? Since you got home that I left your house last night. (laughs) Here's my favorite part. I've never pulled an all-nighter in my life. Not in college, not in high school. The one and only time I've ever pulled an all-nighter is for this fucking book. Here's what I will say going back to the part one stuff. I loved how much we got to be with the other quadrants, especially like infantry and a little bit of healers, not really, but very much with Jacinia and the archives and the scribes. I loved getting to see more of the college and the the navigation tests, which were just like, I have so much to say on that. Holy hell. I have so much to say on that, but like getting to see them all working together. And like, this is how an active military would run at a base. Like, like, you know, in Samara, there's a little bit of everyone and getting to see that in second year was awesome. And on that land navigation stuff. Oh my gosh. It was like hilarious and unsurprising because it just did not go well. It was like, of course they had two different maps. Like, oh my gosh, I was just cackling. And the infantry where it's like, oh, he's like our fucking Dane kind of thing. It's like, ah! <laughs> Literally, I'm going to save a lot of my what the fuck was Violet thinking for half of this book for a minute from now. But she thinks that to herself as well, where she's just like, wow, I am just, I am spiraling here. It's like, yeah, you are, girl. <laughs> For understandable reasons, 
I'm going to save actually my biggest complaint with the book in just a minute. But Ooh, okay. I, well, it's, it's nothing spicy. It's just my own hill that I'm like, what the fuck is this? But let's, let's start at the very beginning. So Brennan and Erasia and all of this da- download. I don't even know if I can say da- download, mini download. I thought we were going to be in Erasia way longer than we actually were. I don't know if I thought that we were going to be there longer because I really did think that they were going to get back for graduation. And while Nicole and I are not going to be doing like a tit for tat, especially when we do our deep dive with like, oh, I was right about this. Oh, I was right about that. Like sometimes it is nice just to be like, yeah, like awesome. Check check mark, right? That's <laughs> list is a different, the bets list is a different animal. That is different, which we will discuss at the end of this episode here. I figured that we were going to be going back for graduation. And so they would only have a few days there. And I think that it worked. And then I was really glad that we went back to Arisha, even though it was a very different kind of context. So I think it wasn't so much that I'm sad that we got so little of Arisha in the beginning. I wish that we had gotten a little bit more with Brennan because he was very much a lieutenant colonel when they were there together and only having very few moments of being an older big brother with her. And I think that was actually pretty, I'll say realistic, where it's like they just kind of showed up on his doorstep. Like he's got shit to do. He's got a revolution to run. Like he's got things to do. And he can't just drop all of it to go hang out with his sister for however many days. So I will say I loved going to the luminary uncle in I can't remember the the name of it. I will for the deep dive, but and getting to be with Brennan and Mira and, and like kind of seeing them three fight together like that was delicious. I want more of that. That was really cool. Yes. Like Violet, like feeling like she's you know just like a child again, like yes. seeing her older siblings fight and all of that. Now, here's what I will say. And this is hopping into our first theory, I guess, that didn't take long. <laughs> Naolin is absolutely a venom. Hands down. <laughs> this is a quote from Iron Flame. Naolin didn't fail, but it cost him everything. I guess that this is explains why Taryn is slash was, I'm assuming is still, so distraught by a lot of the Naolin stuff. Like, I I really need more on this. And going back to the whole, like, I wish we got more in Brennan, why didn't we get his whole fucking story? The only reason I can think about that is Rebecca's like, wait till book three. Like, there's there's still more. There's still three more books, so there still has to be some things. But, like, I wanted that whole story of how, if I was Violet, I would have been like, you're alive. Tell me the fuck how. Like, what is going on here? He did. But it was in a very surface level. thinking about an iceberg. I think we got the tip of the iceberg that satisfied the general how, which which we will dive into during our first deep dive here. But yes, there are still way too many details. Like before, I wasn't really on board with the nail and is a venom. But now at this point, all bets are off the table. And I'm. it's like, you're a venom. You're a venom. You're a venom. So yes, he is absolutely a venom. Like I'm convinced of it now. Now, what level of venom is he? Is he the sage level? Is he one above? Because I'm leaning towards one above. But also, how long do venom live? Are they like eternal? Because if so, I feel like it'd be it'd be a while before you work your way up the ranks. Or is it a matter of power? If Naolin really did siphon that much power from the earth and God, oh God, this makes me sick. But like if this really did happen, like maybe he did raise up the ranks really quickly. So maybe Naolin is like one of the big, bad, high level venoms. And can you imagine when we're going to face off with him and Tarn on the battlefield? I'm terrified. Now, here's another thing. I'm also convinced that Naolin and Brennan were in a relationship. Absolutely. I am as well. Because there's this line where I I can't remember the exact wording of it, and I'll have it for the deep dive because it'll be in one of our first few episodes. 
and it's basically like Brennan's jaw ticks or Brennan looks away or Brennan has like, it's just like something like where it's a show don't tell of like Brennan is distraught by, by talking about Naolin. And Violet even notes to herself that their relationship was deeper than just comrades. And Violet asks him, are you married? Do you have kids? Fair questions. And he responds back again. I don't have the book in front of me, but he says something along the lines of like, I don't have a partner. And just it's little, very intentional language like that. We might be reading too much into it, but I don't think we are. I don't think so. (laughs) That's one of the things I love about this book is that it's not in your face representation. It's just like matter of fact. It's Riddick is gay or bisexual. It's Rhiannon is bisexual. It's Zayden is a person of color and it's like it's just not even Heaton uses they them pronouns like it's not even a question of like oh my god da, 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 da. like even Jacinia signing like that is probably the most like oh my god do, do people know how to sign like that's the most like question mark thing and I love that it's not in your face it's just like this is just how the world works and I'm just like oh my god there's hope I love this part one and Darna this is our first egg I don't know if I'd call it an egg because we were more just very curious about this because, well, everyone, she's not golden anymore. No tattoos for us. No (laughs) tattoos for us, which I'm very sad about that, but that's okay. We'll find something else. At this time, like, I'm not surprised that we found that out so quickly in the book just because she had to go and see them very soon. I will say she's not nearly as huge as I expected her to be. The way that Zayden was, and Darn is fucking huge. I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, she likes a gale size, but she's not. She's just huge relative to her own size. At this point, we're thinking she's a black dragon. And I'll be honest, and Nicole and I were texting, well, I'm sure we'll share our, our text oh, message yeah. stage at some point. But it was just like, I was a little bit disappointed that she was, you know, quote unquote, just a black dragon. Don't get me wrong. Black dragons are fucking badass. And she was even like, they are so rare. And she's bonded to two of them. And it's like, okay, like, I can jump on board. If she is going to be any regular color dragon, Black Dragon makes the absolute most sense. And that also makes sense that they had to go hide going back to the Vale with two Black Dragons. Like, how did we not pick up on that during our excerpt analysis? I'm going to be saying that a lot throughout this whole thing. But then I was very early on starting to pick up on those camouflage hints. And I was so curious. And so it's like, okay, we're supposed to think that she's a Black Dragon, but there is absolutely something more to this. It's like, I don't know. Is she like, I still don't know. I still don't exactly know what color she is, but I think that's part of the point is that she's not a particular color. She's a camouflage dragon or whatever you want to call that here. I was very, my ears perked up and I was curious to just go on this journey of learning what the secrets are about Indarna. And oh my gosh, to quote Nicole, they were delicious. <laughs> well, here's what I will say. Like she goes up to Indarna for the first time in broad ass daylight and sees like, what the fuck? Why? Why is she black? But then later on, she describes Indarna as like an iridescent, like there's like an iridescent purple or something like that. I'm totally misquoting, but there's like a different color. And I do believe it was purple. Or because when she's closer to Segal, she's like, it's almost like her blue scales are reflecting off. And then at the very end, we're going to pull some stuff from part two here. But like at the very end during the battle, she blends in with the battlements. That was when I was like, oh my God, she's a fucking chameleon. This is perfect. I love this for Andarna. I will say I was shocked that she was basically vacant from most of this book until the mega info drop at the very end. Yes. So I'm assuming going into book three, we're going to get much, much, much Andarna because at the very end, Violet did say to Taryn and Andarna, like, 
talk you two so everyone's clued in on this whole Andarna stuff I need to go back and reread that section about 45 more times because I am still confused on like how does the seventh dragon thing work I'm getting ahead of myself but I was very surprised that basically part one was just like the Tarn and Violet show it makes sense like it makes sense don't get me wrong yeah now when they go back for graduation honestly this is way less complicated than it's going to be. I was like, there's going to be the like all these different things and da, 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 da. And it was like, this is pretty face value. Okay, sounds good. And like, I'm not mad about it. Don't get me wrong. I will say having like the assassins and stuff like that, like Dane's dad getting relocated. But like, oh my God, I have so much. Are we changing God fucking damn it, Dane to God fucking damn it, Dane's dad. I think we have to. I'm I'm not ready to officially pass the baton over yet. We still have to go on a few Dane rants before we officially do that. Let me just say, I have quite the earful of my reactions video from chapter 35, and it's going to have a big old explicit warning on it because I'm just literally <laughs> cussing into the video at like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Oh my God, I love that. But I, I 100% agree with you about it being a lot less complicated than I think we were all thinking. I was just saying that we're not going to be harping on about being right versus wrong, but I was right about this. <laughs> Knowing that they were that they would go back and pretend like something else happened and having to lie about Liam's death, that was so heartbreaking. And you know, they'd be begrudgingly let back into Beskyeth and but they'd be very closely watched. Rebecca took it a step further and the assassination attempts to like, oh, I, I loved those. Although RIP to some of our characters. RIP to our guy, Kieran. I want to just quote Lexi because this is one of the <laughs> one of the texts we shared. I was like, oh my God, Kieran got assassinated. No. And Lexi texts back, RIP, Kieran. We never got a chance to hate you. <laughs> we were so going to be on the Kieran hate tram just, just for fun. And womp womp. We, and he didn't womp. make it very far. He did have one sassy comment where I was like, okay, Okay, cool. I can hate you for this reason. Along with the the added drama of the assassins, the added drama of Varish. And we'll get more into Varish in a second. But like that, I felt like the face value-ness of it. I was like, nope, this is satisfying. Like, I'm, I love this. Like, it didn't feel too simple to the point where I was like, oh, well, that was just kind of like plot armor, you know? Right. Like no. there was definitely some internal conflict and tension, like like Garrick being like, dude, like you better be right about this. If I'm just walking in to die on graduation day, I'm going to be fucking pissed off. And it's like, God, I love you, Garrick. We'll talk a lot more about Garrick in our Zayden POV chapters because, oh, my gosh, we just need more Garrick. And I life. need more Garrick. It wasn't complicated enough where it interfered with moving the story along. And again, going back to that, it was a fast paced book. They had to solve this conflict, overcome this challenge quickly and I think they did it in a really great way with some lingering tensions to carry through the rest of particularly part one well and then we got Violet with Dane which basically Zayden was like okay like don't worry I got this I handled this and Violet's like touch me and you die and I only thought of that Parks and Rex meme where it's like the only thing that'll be like is your head on a pike or something like that and it shoots over to that one guy and he's like I just oh, that's all I thought about because even Zayden was like Calm down, Violet. <laughs> like, way to not be conspicuous. Going back, I think this is in like chapter two or so when they're still in Arisha. And I just laughed out loud when Violet first thinks, 
fucking Dane. And it's just like, <laughs> and I was just so not disappointed with, it was like, oh man, she's going to go out with guns blazing. And it, it was not what I expected. I thought she was definitely going to be a little bit more of like an actress and like, and pretending like things were okay. But nope, she went the other direction and I am here for it. <laughs> the amount of messages we received from people either of like screenshot or of photos of that line fucking Dane or just of them saying, oh my God, and saying that they heard it in our voices <laughs> makes me be like, my work here is done. <laughs> like, we got to squeeze out every last little bit of God fucking damn it, Dane, before. Oh, trust me. There's enough. Get to this next part. <laughs> There's a lot. Sloan and Arik are two new first years. I want to talk about Sloan first. Everything I thought about Sloan was just flipped upside down. Like nothing I assumed about Sloan was correct. I thought that she was going to play a way bigger role. Now, don't get me wrong. She gives us one of the biggest info dumps at the very towards the very end of this book. And I'm so grateful for her for that. But she was kind of on the back burner. And looking back, I'm really not mad about it. We had so much going here and I loved her arc. I I wish we'd had a little bit more time for the arc to feel fully satisfying. However, like I think Sloane was exactly what this book needed her to be rather than what I was assuming this book needed her to be. You know what I mean? I agree. It would have been a little too wrapped up with a bow if if Violet took her under her wing and it was very much almost like she being the Liam role. And I think that a lot of Sloane's arc actually developed off page and it just worked for us because her arc really started developing after she started receiving the letters. And I love how it was like like, she is so stubborn. She's like Liam, but she's also the opposite of Liam. Very much like siblings right I loved it and so that was Violet's way of like dangling the the letters in front of her so that she would actually start working with Imogen and I loved that and when Sloan does start softening to Violet it's once when Liam's telling her about Violet and his letters and we know and trust Liam enough to be able to presume what was being said in those letters and we even get a few at least we get one of those excerpts from Liam to Sloan and one of the chapter starts and it was like reaffirming where it's like, okay, like Sloan is on her own journey right now, really working through her feelings about Violet and her brother's death. And we can just trust that once Sloan says to Violet, whispers like, I don't actually hate you. We can understand all of what she's gone through without having to have experienced it ourselves. So I think that it worked really, really well with that with Sloan. I agree completely. And I really, I loved that Sloan was just like this terrible fighter. I loved that like she was the polar opposite of Liam Mari and it, it all just worked but then she gets a red dagger tail too. I and know. my heart and it was like a little mid-sized one who's a strawberry who's like all strawberry. And it's just like, oh, it's so cute. Yeah. And at one point I was like, oh God, she and Dane deserve each other. Like I I, I don't know why I'm shipping Dane and Sloan, but for some random reason I am. <laughs> I mean, that's not out of the question still. Arik, I did not have this on my bingo card. I did not I, either. <laughs> I loved him. I loved him. I loved his addition. I loved the twist about him being a prince. Like, I love when Violet's like, Cam, and he's like, Arik. <laughs> he's like, don't say it. <laughs> and then we find out that he's King Tari's son. And then later on, we find out that he knows about the revolution, or at least he knows about the secret, and he wants to be part of it. And it's just like, oh, you just got way more interesting than you already were. And then, of course, like the whole tension between him and Zayden, with Zayden having killed his older brother, which now we know why 
King Tari's son died in the writer's quadrant. It's because yes. of Zayden. Of course it's because of, of Zayden, right? Like, of course that's what happened. <laughs> I love it. I do yes. want to know who told Arik because there's, again, like we're getting like little like reading between the lines where it's like, ooh, there's a little mystery. Ooh, there's a little mystery that we will learn later on. I thought for sure he was the one who put the pamphlets about the venom taking over <gasps> uh, Zolar, I think is what yeah. it's called there. And poor Emil. And, and I was not like I was not expecting it to end up being Devera, but I was I was also I love Devera too, so I was very happy about that. But I was absolutely convinced that it was Eric, like messing with everybody, and that was like his oh way of infiltrating. God. I really loved the out of the blue nowhereness of him telling Violet that he's like, yeah, I like I know that like literally, I, it was you know two in the morning or not even it was later on than that when I read that part, and I was like. <gasps> Like, oh my God, the, I have so many reaction videos. Cause I'd kind of like gotten a clue from some people about like, okay, these chapters are big. These chapters are big. These chapters are big. I had no idea what was going to happen in them, but I made sure to set up my recording station for that. And that unfortunately was not one of the ones that I got recorded, but I wish I had because I lost my fucking shit. <laughs> and yes, we will be posting our recorded, our, our reaction yes. videos. Cause Lexi and I both have them. Yes. And then just the Green God style heist was so much fun. Like, I'm sorry. I, I know we are always referring to Harry Potter here, but like you can't not with all the blisters and the magic behind these vaults. And may I just say how convenient, how extremely convenient is it that, wow, the, the vault only allows those of royal blood in and ta-da, we have a prince who hates his father right here and behind door number one. <laughs> I wonder which one came first. Like if the idea for that ward came first to Rebecca or the Eric idea. Because I'm assuming like we have a long way to go for Eric, his character development. And I, I am ready for every fucking morsel of it. I'm so here for Eric. I am too, especially there. I picked up on the foreshadowing. I can't remember who it was who said it, but somebody said that a writer has never been king. And he's like, I don't want to be king. Like, that's my brother. Like, I'm not interested in that. And it's just like neon red signs, you know, or it's like something's going to happen. A reluctant leader trope has entered the chat. And I <laughs> fucking love that trope so much. Okay, I could talk forever about Eric, who is not a big part of this book. But I could talk about him forever. But instead, let's talk about the thing that I want to talk about forever, which is part one, Zayden and Violet. <laughs> perfection perfection the tension the banter the everything I fucking loved it I loved the dramatic tension of them not being able to see each other for seven days sometimes even longer depending on if they were like you know pulled aside and all this kind of stuff I love the back and forth I love getting to see him back at Bezgayeth and also getting to see somewhere totally new the letters here's here's what I'm terrified about though on the letters opening each chapter, it says recovered correspondence. And I don't like how the word recovered is in there. What does that mean? Like now, now, no, no, no. This could just be like, you know, they find them later and it's like, oh, yay, found these letters from Zayden. It doesn't feel like that, though. That feels very, these two people died. And um, here's their recovered correspondence, which makes me physically ill. So it's concerning to me, too. However, theirs is not the only uncovered correspondence that are in these chapter beginnings. I really do want to pay close attention to all of them because it is not just these two characters that we see that uncovered correspondence. If I remember correctly, Sloane and Liam are another one, one that is definitely 
concerning is Lilith and Violet's dad is another one. So I'm going to be interested, but I'm not going to hold on to this verbiage. There's way bigger things for us to be worried about. You do than, realize than the-, the two examples you just gave, the people writing the letters are dead, right? <laughs> I guess that's true. Isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, fuck. <laughs> fuck me. I can't think about that too much. Here's what I will say. The I only kiss you when you ask me to kiss you. Fucking delicious. I love that shit. The shower scene where she's like coming back and just like or coming to uh, see him and just like absolutely distraught. Utter perfection. I will get to the throne room scene later. I will be very brief on it today. But I will need a 40-hour podcast for that scene later. But I'm so glad that they made, that Rebecca made it so that when they are so far apart, they can't do their mind-to-mind speak. Because then whenever they were together, it was so much more intense. And I love that they kind of like fell into that rhythm. It felt very like boyfriend, girl, girlfriendy. You know, when you're with someone for a while and then finally it starts to get to the point where you're like, oh, like, you know, we have our little routine and it just feels so safe and comforting. And I just, ugh. I love it. It, it, Until Varish starts fucking with them. But anyway. (laughs) I have a lot, lot to say on that scene, but I'm going to hold off. I thought there was going to be more back and forth between Violet and Zayden. Violet forgave him a lot faster than I expected. And I knew that she would, of course. But again, I thought that what happened in the second half of part one was going to extend into the rest of the book too. Like they've fixed their problems pretty quickly. Now, of course that opened up many other problems with trust and blah, blah, blah. But again, when she's telling her friends and she's finally admitting to her friends what happened and the way that they respond back about with support and acceptance and it's her realizing, Oh my God, I did not give Zayden this. And I loved that self-realization there and it's just – it's so realistic, all of her thought processes and emotions and all of that. So while I thought there was going to be more back and forth, I thought she was going to hold him to the flames a little bit longer. Good for them for solving their problems. Like, big asterisks next to that, but get pushing through. Here's, here's what I will say. I initially was also very much in the camp of like, oh, that was a lot faster than I thought. But then on my reread, I'm actually feeling like, nope, this feels pretty perfectly paced because for the longest time it is only the like I'm I'm gonna kiss you but I'm not gonna forgive you and it still is that that major problem I love the like I'm not gonna take advantage of you I'm not gonna use you for your body just to get you to say you're in love with me like I love that stuff and it felt very like seeing Zayden Ryerson be romantic was I I thought I couldn't love that man more and boy oh boy was I wrong because that was I cannot, I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I would have caved so much faster than Violet. That's what I will say. <laughs> she caved pretty fast. I, I would have caved I, instantaneously with the first letter. <laughs> I will also say about the two of them, I'm glad that the issues in their relationship took somewhat of a backseat to the rest of the mm-hmm. story. I might be in the minority here. There were just too many competing elements to let their tension take I'll call it the plot spotlight. There was it was always present. Everything between them, like their relationship is absolutely a core element to this story, but it isn't the first thing I think of when I think of Iron Flame. Like when I think about Fourth Wing, their budding romance and and their enemies lovers, like that's all absolutely very central to the plot and it's much more of a plot B in in this one. I I felt like and I really liked that. Yeah. I don't know if I so much felt like it was plot B it it felt like plot 1A where it was like it was still it was very much still there but the primary 
focus of the story was definitely more on that truth, that uncovering, right. the researching the wards, all that kind of stuff, the the combining of two worlds between the Griffins and the flyer and the writers. I will say, I don't think it felt very backburner to me, but that's also because I'm like hyper fixating on it. <laughs> and I, I loved it. I loved the balance. I loved that it wasn't shoved in your face reading this book. And that's coming from me. I loved it. Now, do I wish we got a sex scene more? I wish we'd had five. I wish we'd had four, but we got a measly little three, but that's fine. I'll take it. But I do love that it didn't ever feel like, okay, now we stop and have sex. We stop and we have a romantic moment. It always felt weaved into the storyline. And I really, really loved that. Me too. Are you ready, Lexi? I know I said this at the top of our spoiler part, but I have to say it again, everybody. Jack fucking Barlow. (laughs) Friends, I have the biggest egg on my face. I know I keep repeating that, but like that's just the nicest thing I could say about myself in this. After I went on and on about how Jack can't possibly still be alive or especially be a venom. Like for all of you that theorized that he is still alive, and especially if you also thought he was a venom, you get a gold star. You get a gold star and an official apology from me for being adamantly disagreeing not just like nicely disagreeing but very publicly and adamantly disagreeing with you so I apologize and here is your gold star I still have a lot of questions around all of this that we'll sort through in the deep dive and I'll probably just like be spewing all of my questions and we'll work through all of them together as a community because that's what we do I just can't believe that Jack was able to draw power from the source within the wards while still bounded to a dragon so I went back and I read the scene where him and Violet are sparring in fourth wing and I was like this is a different scene Oh my God. There's, there's a description of a red rim around his eyes. Like everything to the point where I'm like, oh, I felt like such an eye dot. I was like, oh my God. Now here's the thing. This was one of the chapters that I got a heads up on and I definitely recorded. And you just see me burst out laughing. (laughs) I wish I had a reaction to mine because I just like slam the book shut and I just start walking around my house just to my husband's just yelling, Jack fucking Barlow. And he's just like, what are you talking about? And I'm like trying to explain it to him. And he's looking at me like I'm like speaking another language. I will say, because you mentioned, you know, during that sparring session, how many other writers are like this? Because think about like in this book, two characters that we know who are powerful that they essentially became Venom. How many other people has this happened to? It's got to be a lot. Well, But that's in a different setting. Like I'm thinking about right there in the writer's quadrant. So here's what I, I pulled the exact quote from Fourth Wing. Quote, his sadistic grin and a red rim around his eyes are all I can see as he forces more and more power into my body. So one of the things I love about this scene is that she could feel him pulling power from the source. So was he doing what that one Venon did in Resin who killed Soleil, but like a smaller version of it? Way smaller version of it because it was more of a like just like that like essentially needing to pull more power. And I think that's what happened with Zayden. We'll get into that way later here, but I have a lot of questions about how the hell that happened with Zayden. But he... It was more like an accident for him. Oh, kind of an accident. Like he really didn't mean to turn into a venom. So I went back and reread it and he made the conscious choice to pull from the source. 
and then it stops right before like he wakes up from his dream right before he starts actually that's calling. right and and so but gail he, is pissed off at him at the choice that he is making actively but but going back to jack and like for him to make that conscious decision to pull from the source because he hates Pilot that much think about how many other power hungry writers that's literally what writers are and do so how many other writers would be like that because I genuinely thought that you could not become a venom if you are bonded to a dragon. Like I thought that that was just like you couldn't do that. And now you obviously can. And that opens up so many possibilities. Here's what I want to say. This was my journey of realizing Jack Barlow was alive in Iron Flame. Laughing. Just straight up laughter. Absolute fury. Because for a second I thought that he was just brought back as like shits and giggles like it just brought back as like a oh this character is alive again and then which, which I was I was infuriated by I was like if this is I like I have been very adamant on the podcast of just being openly trustworthy of Rebecca and I was my trust was wavering at that moment then him destroying the wardstone I know I'm jumping to part two but this is important to tie this all together him destroying the wardstone I was like oh I guess this is why they brought them him back but I was like why him? Why, like anyone could have done but this. Like why the why fuck was it him? this? But then the whole Zayden is a venom. I don't think, I, I think that this is the least amount we're ever going to see again going forward of Jack Barlow. He, I, I have it in my bones that he is going to play a massive role in book three and maybe beyond, but definitely book three. And I don't think, it's going to be in a friendly way with Satan. I don't know. Like, cause Gosh, at no. the very end of the book, the last, the last line is like, welcome to the family brother or something like that, which is like, Oh God. Oh dear. It's not good. But like, is Jack going to be kind of a, I do not think he's going to be a mentor to Zayden by any means, but is he going to be like the bridge for Zayden to go into the Venon family? I hope not. All I can say in this section, I'll get more into it later when we talk about Zayden being a Venon. I did not see this coming. That is all I can say. Like, I did not see that coming. But I will say now, seeing him being brought back, knowing now the ending, I'm like, okay, I trust you, Rebecca. You know what you're doing. Okay, this is, I I get this. Okay, I don't get this, but I I, I I trust so many feelings about this. I was really livid at first with it's like, there has, like, I trusted that there was going to be a reason that we would learn at least somewhat of at the end of this book about why him because think about how many writers die every day and like think about how many people fall off their dragons every day and they're probably not dead right when they fall and so nolan could be mending plenty of other people but leadership whoever chose to mend jack chose to spend months and months of nolan almost burning out and essentially not caring to anybody else at Best Guy because he's so focused on this. Why is that so important? Why does that take precedence to cure Jack? Because he was already venom. Exactly. At first, it's like maybe he's Varish's son or, you know, he's related to him somehow. But then once we learn that he's venom, then it's like, oh, Leadership recognized him as becoming a venom, And when all of these tower rocks fell on him, they rescued him to experiment on him and see if they can cure or at least control a venom. And all I got to say is Nolan has some serious answering to do because fuck that guy right now. I'm so pissed at Nolan. Speaking of fuck that guy, though, God fucking damn it, Varish. GFTV. Oh. <laughs> OK, 
Okay, here's my here's my question, and I want to debate this for a second. Is he worse or just as bad as Umbridge? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think we found a magic school leader who is worse than Umbridge. Because <gasps> wow, I can't even believe I'm saying that. Now I will also say that Umbridge doesn't have a gigantic pink dragon. <laughs> so he's got a little bit of a leg up on her in that regard. However, holy moly, this guy, it, I thought that his character, we might wonder like, oh, like he felt kind of like, I'll call it back to like that level one boss, like this big bad character. And there was some shock when he died just in part at the end of part one there. And it's like, yeah, but that was his purpose. His yeah. purpose was to make Violet's life a living hell when she went back to Biscayeth. Where the hell would he have fit in the rest of this book? It's in a role that Melgren doesn't own himself. Yeah. So. Or Atos now. Or Atos. Atos. Fucking Atos, um, man. Ooh, I've got questions about Atos. Now, to answer the question, I am I think I'm actually going to go with, I think Umbridge is a little worse for in one category and Varish is worse than the other. In the, in the way of just absolute gaslighting Harry. Like Harry was like, Voldemort's alive. This is all happening. And Umbridge is like, oh, sweet summer child. Like that's not real. And, and that was in. Fury. One of my biggest pet peeves in the entire world is someone saying, mm, what you're saying, what you're feeling is not true. Completely dismissing that. Umbridge was the queen of that. Varish didn't have to do that because Violet wasn't able to outright talk about it. Now he embarrassed her. He like he controlled her in ways that were absolutely sickening. And here's where I do think Varish actually does take the leg up. Torture. <laughs> I, think torture. Yeah, I was going to say Umbridge tortured, like with their pen and detention and whatnot. But it's like I think that the way that Varish used Violet's power against her that was so twisted and first of all wow we were wrong about car dude my god oh my god <laughs> i really let us down professor car big time professor kaori is my new favorite on the bezgaius oh, side Devera is mine i fucking oh yeah love i mean like who stayed at bezgaius like, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Devera is absolutely <laughs> it is still so canon in my head that professor car is part of the revolution that like i I, I, I like I don't believe the book. I believe my head in that way. I'm I, so confused. I kind of figured as soon as he was it's pretty much letting this happen to Violet, yeah. that was when I was like, oh, I don't think Professor Carr is who we think. And then once when Felix comes into the story and is like an actual mentor to her, I loved how that opened up all of the possibilities to us as readers because you know, just being in Violet's head, we don't know that there's any other way to train for lightning wielding. Nobody does. Yes. And the fact that Professor Carr was purposefully taking her out of her element, not letting her really build up her power in a way that every other cadet was with their signets, it's like, a, oh, no shit. I did not even think about it that way. Yeah. Okay, never mind. You just you just cured my my head cannon. Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> we need to talk about these interrogation scenes first and foremost. Oh my God, though, yeah, fucking called it. I fucking knew that this is one that I will be. I will gloat and happily. And there's one more, and you all know what it is. But right now, I'm just keeping it to this one. I was so like I was so satisfied, and not just because I was right. Although yes, that was there a little, but like it was so fucking horrific all of the interrogation stuff was I expecting interrogation to be a class no <laughs> like, I, I was also not expecting it to be this continuously horrific I thought we were gonna get maybe one interrogation scene where we did have that big rescue I thought it was gonna be Violet rescuing Zayden it wasn't it was the other way around which was 
perfection was like it, it was terrifying to read everything about it but like even just the first practice where she's like the key is in my desk drawer or whatever and that's what she has to keep hidden I do love that Professor Grady was like not there he was just chilling outside like reading a book you know <laughs> just hanging but it does make me wonder like is Professor Grady still considered a good guy like they're going back to Bisgaith in book three it sounds like so is he still gonna be there yeah they say that at the end of the book which does not make any sense to me. I'm going to have to reread that because I did not pick up on that. <laughs> they were like, we have to go back. And I'm like, why? But like the reason- are they already at Biscaya? Like go back to school. She's going to have to go back for, to finish her second year is what it sounded like because the wards are strongest at Bezgaith and they all want to stay at the wards. Yeah. Even though Zayden's a Venon and how that works, I don't know, but we're not on that part yet. <laughs> but I'm assuming that Professor Grady is still going to be there. I don't know. Like, but so that's all part one of this interrogation stuff. Second Nicole thought here is, and this is, this is my number one issue with this book. Number one, I was so pissed. I need Violet to be more intelligent and not eat or drink things from a professor who is literally teaching you interrogation techniques. So <laughs> they were in Land Nav and he's like, here's some food and water, like drink before you, you, you know, go off into the woods. And I was like, no, no, don't. Do, oh, my God. Stop. Don't be this stupid. Oh, my God. And then they drank it. And I was like, you fucking idiots. And then she did it with Nolan again. And I was like. Why are you such an idiot? I know there was that one time during their first interrogation where she was actually had a brain cell and she didn't do it. But the fact that it happened multiple times and Violet's supposed to be this like brilliant fucking woman. Now I know her entire world just got flipped upside down. I would be very disgruntled. I would very much not know up from down. And yes, of course she's going to trust Nolan. So of course she drinks that. However, an entirely new professor from a school who is lying to you on a class that literally they have been told that they're going to be tortured during when they're thrown together with the infantry and the healers. Oh, I guess so. That wasn't really, I didn't. It wasn't torture, but it was still his class. It's still him teaching. I would not trust a fucking word out of that man's mouth. I wouldn't trust anything. And the fact that they didn't even think twice was just but that I, was the first time and then Violet did learn her lesson after that only and then went except with Nolan and that I, was a I, different situation that was not in a I'll call I it do I do setting. not forgive I do not forgive this. okay it was infuriating and look am I actually mad at this book of fucking course not but I do I I was disappointed in Violet <laughs> during that I, section. I did not read that any of that the same way that you did I will just leave it at that <laughs> so mad because here's the deal like yes I and I see this in your notes yes they had just invented the serum but she is a poisons master she was poisoning people last year and she didn't think twice about being offered food and drink from a professor whose class is all about getting information but, out of you and torturing you Nicole he's offering them food and drink when they're stranded in the woods and about to do an exercise like, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're smart enough. I don't think either of us are smart enough. Oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> I'm pissed. I'm mad. I accept it. It was just very like, what the hell? Well, it, to their credit, it was like the serum was something that they just invented, which I have a lot more questions about what, the why behind the serum. I think that we can assume it's primarily for controlling the venom they have in their possession, like Jack. 
But the way that they use it so casually on the squads is extremely nerve wracking and it raises a lot of questions. Yeah. And I want to know, like, did they keep using it on all the land navs and they just didn't keep drinking the water? Like, I don't, I need more information on this because somebody said that, I can't remember who, but somebody said, oh, like, that's a new thing for this year. Like, they were surprised. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, what, like, why are they using it on the squads here? Well, and are they using it on every squad or just violets? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the third thing about the the interrogation stuff. And this is to the, like, big, big, big interrogation. Fucking Liam. Oh, I know, Liam. I, I wept. I openly wept. I was not, uh, not expecting it just doesn't feel, like, devastating enough for what we as readers were feeling. Him being so comforting just was absolutely destroying. And this is the line that absolutely killed me. Violet says, don't leave me. And he says, I won't. I swear. Same cadence, same punctuation, four words. And it's the same type of way that he said, it's been my honor. Yeah. I When Liam came and he was like, that's like your subconscious just being like, you need to create this hallucination. And the line was something along the lines of, you know, he was there to help her keep her sanity. And his presence there made her feel like she had lost her sanity. And the two being able to live together and both be true was so heart-wrenching and wonderful at the same time. I love it wasn't Zayden. I love I that it too. was Liam. Mm-hmm. I love Liam so much. I was a ball of anxiety during this whole interrogation. And my biggest question was, what in the world is this Vice Commandant's signet? Like, I knew it was going to be something super twisted. And at first, I thought it was going to be the truth telling. And it's like, oh, that's crazy. But it's like, oh, nope, that's just one of his minions. (laughs) And like, when we learn that it's being able to see other people's weaknesses, it's like, of course it is. Of course it is. is. Whenever we do find out what Colonel Atos's signet is, that's going to be equally as like jaw dropping. Oh, gosh, it's going to be so crazy deep diving this villain. We may have grown soft on Dane, which we'll talk about in a second, but we can all safely rally around this fucker in part one and a certain crazy ex-girlfriend in part two. I can't wait (laughs) to talk about Kat. I have so many feelings on Kat. Jesus Christ. But pause on that for a second because God fucking damn it, Dane? Can, Question mark? Can we even say that anymore? I, I think we can. I have sort of. It does not negate what he did last book. No. And what we were worried about was he can explain it away. Now, I don't think we believe everything that he said, which we're going to get to in a minute. I see you just rolling your eyes like crazy. So I'm okay. I think that it's safe to say that we're both still processing this whole arc. This was one of the bigger, not wonderful surprises to me. I also want to take this moment, not just about this particular part, but about other parts like Jack Barlow and the end with Zayden is I think it's important for all of us as readers to not be upset about something simply because it's not what we expected or even hoped for. We've had such a collective emotional attachment to hating Dane this past year that now it feels like kind of an empty hole. It's like, what am I supposed to feel now here? And it's a very weird feeling that we're all going to work through together. Was Dane's arc. I'm going to just call it that. He had his full redemption arc in this book. We very well might see more in later books, but I, yeah, I know, right? Was it faster paced than I would have preferred? Yes, 
Absolutely. But it worked for the story as a whole because it's just such a fast-paced book. I also think that it was a well-written emotional journey for Violet as we're inside her head from when she first says she fucking hates Dane to when she listens to his side of the story, but she can't forgive him still, to when she eventually admits to him and herself that she doesn't think she ever will. Even though I felt like it was fast-paced, it never felt unrealistic. Yes. I am also still processing this, and I, I don't think I'm going to be done processing this until we are done deep diving Iron Flame. So so keep in mind that Lexi and I both have the right to change our minds on this experience that we have. Initial Um, reactions. Initial reactions. (laughs) I I was wondering, like, after, after reading this, I was like, do I still hate Dane? And the answer is not really. Am I mad at him? A fucking course. What he did was not okay. Do I believe him? That's the big question that I'm rattling with right now. He mentioned that, you know, he he accidentally read her mind. Yeah. He mentioned that he really only did it once. But the cups, her face, and everything around it, I I don't know if I can believe him on that. What twists my mind is that when Zayden... And Violet are talking, this is after Zayden's confessed about his second signet, he admits, like, that's why I let Dane come with us is because I could read his intentions. But he wasn't there, at at least as far as I'm remembering, so please forgive me if I'm wrong here, but he wasn't there when he admitted to Violet, he, meaning Dane, admitted to Violet that he had only read her memory once. So we don't have Zayden's intrinsic power in that moment to see, like, to fact check it, basically. Was it fast? It was faster than I was expecting. I was expecting this in book three or four. Like, I was not expecting this anytime soon. But like you're saying, Lex, did it feel disingenuine? Did it feel unrealistic? You know, like I think about season eight of Game of Thrones, like Danny's whole arc there was absurd and 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 unrealistic. And do I think that's where it was going in the books? Absolutely. But it was so fast to the point where it was like, wait, we didn't get a chance to see how this worked. I think we got a chance to see how it worked in this book. The sparring scene where he was, I loved that scene, by the way. Oh my fucking God. I loved that scene with Dane and Violet sparring where she threatens to like basically cut off his hands. Zayden does the same thing in his POV chapters in his head. Like, and then Dane's like, what did I do wrong? And it's just like, oh my God, Dane. And that's why, (laughs) that is why I don't think we can let go of God fucking damn it, Dane. I think it's just changing a little. It's changing to you idiot <laughs> like oh it's like uh you know in how i met your mother where it's like oh honey yes. <laughs> are we gonna have to start going oh honey dane i ah, no i still want to say god fucking damn it dane i can't get rid of it it will never leave my body it will because he at least at least without the knowledge of book three and beyond like i i do wonder though like is he lying is there going to be another arc we don't know about like i don't think dane is done by any means. But I will say after the interrogation scene, I 100% concede he is a Hufflepuff. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know how I feel about him still being a Hufflepuff. I was talking to several people at the (laughs) minute release party about this, me and my fellow Hufflepuffs, but he's, Mm. he can sit at the same very long table as us, as long as it's not near us. But back to the plot sequence here. If you think about how the stretch of chapters did go, like where his arc is pretty condensed, it made sense for his character because that whole sequence was happening so fast. The whole point is that it was all happening so fast. And Dane 
was still questioning everything. He didn't have time to process all of it. Like literally, Zayden's like, hey, you either come with us or you die. Like, and he who's was like, gonna, I guess I'll come with you. Yeah, uh, I guess he doesn't really have much of a choice in that matter. And so I think that he's still processing all of it as well for himself, but he's going to at least be alive while he processes it. So I don't know how it could have been more drawn out for him in a more satisfying way just because of how the plot was moving so fast yeah. that it wouldn't have fit in any other way. I loved, like 100% loved our our actual god fucking damn a day moment where he cupped Violet's face in the interrogation scene and she was able to show him memories. Yes. That was like I'm getting chills thinking about it. I loved that scene. I do also I remember texting you when he switched Sloane into Violet's squad. I remember texting you being like was that a peace offering? Like, what was that? You know, and like, am I starting to like Dane? Because like, that was way faster than I thought. But I love that we get this moment. Like these, again, there's like these little moments throughout where he is trying to, I think, A, figure out what the fuck happened to my best friend. But I, I loved towards the and this is in part two, but we get those moments of him and her, him and Dane and Violet in the library and them pouring over different languages which I fucking knew I right language, was, yes you and I we were we were which that was a big foreshadowing <laughs> in for in fourth wing when she goes up to his room for the first time to wrap her knee right after parapet there's this moment where she's like I see a book that I gave Dane who's always had a knack for languages and there we get to see it like in full storm I loved that moment here's what I will say someone on our discord did mention that they think with Zayden and the fucking venom plot smack in the face that we got that this is going to bring in Dane as a possible romantic love interest. Could I see it? Maybe. It would take a lot of convincing. Am I rooting for it? Fuck no. Absolutely not. I don't really see it happening for that reason. In like the how would this work with Vi- in Violet's head. I could see Dane and someone else. Like it, like you know I do hope that Dane does get a, a romantic interest at some point in the book. Like Sloane who is like a marked Sloan. one. Oh my God, that would be fucking Or maybe, perfect. you know what? Maybe he and Kat can end up together. Honestly, that would be more perfect. <laughs> okay, that is my new shipping. Dane and Kat, they can go off and be their crazy mind wielders together. That would be a terrifying couple. I hate everything about it, but you know what? I want I want both of them out of the picture, so I'm actually <laughs> right? super happy just with don't that. be together. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to have so many more thoughts on Dane. These, again, these are just our initial thoughts, and it is... If I could sum up Dane in in my thoughts about Dane after reading Iron Flame, it's, huh? What? Mine is, God fucking damn it, Dane? (laughs) Question mark and some pity in there? Yes, exactly. And I just, I don't know how I feel right now. And again, I think that after the deep dive, specifically after the deep dive around the interrogation stuff, I'm going to have a lot more concrete feelings about it. But for right now, I'm very much in the same camp as a lot of readers and just kind of like, oh, I did not (laughs) expect that in this book. But again, it didn't feel disingenuine. And I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I will say really quickly, because Rebecca at her midnight release, someone was like, can you share one line from Iron Flame? And she says, I reach for Dane's belt buckle. And it caused everyone in the audience to absolutely freaked out. And we get tagged. We got tagged in this video so many we times. Did, and it, was yeah. af- it was after my social media hiatus. So I was back on it after reading the Iron Flame. And I was just cackling because I was like, Rebecca, you little, you knew what you were doing. Because it's in the scene where the Griffin flyers and the 
riders are climbing up the like switchback mountain, which I'm not going to lie. I could have done without that scene. I'm going to be straight up honest, but where Violet dislocates her shoulder and Dane pops it back into place and mm-hmm. he gives her his belt to, you know, fasten as a makeshift sling. And I was just cackling. I was like, Rebecca, you little potster. I loved it. It was so funny. The rescue scene. Nicole, I know you have so many thoughts about this. I'll, I'll try to keep it, keep them pretty concise because I have gone into quite a bit of this. I fucking called it is another thought that I have, but I won't digress on that too much. Here's what I was not expecting because I was expecting, you know, some kind of rescue scene. I, what, I did think that the characters were going to be reversed where it was going to be Violet rescuing Zayden. I was not expecting this to be the first time Zayden says I love you, but it was fucking perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I loved even, it. Even Dane <laughs> thought it was perfect. Like later on, like in part two, he's like, he was even about to, he admits that he was about to fall in love with Zayden after hearing that speech. And I was just dying laughing. It's like, okay. One of those moments where I was like, I might actually start liking you now, yeah, Dane. Like, talking. I'm going to like you. Jeez. I will say the line, my heart only beats as long as your does. When you die, I'll meet Malik at your side. Don't like that. I don't like that. Zayden? Yeah, that, that's nope. a big, oh, that's foreshadowing and that's not good. Don't want this book series to end, but I also want it to end. So that's all I'm going to say on the the rescue scene now. We're going to do an entire deep dive podcast about it. And I'm assuming it's going to be one of our longer ones of this stretch. But I, I loved it. I loved the rescue scene. It was perfect. And then another character joins us for this rescue scene. I was not expecting Lilith to do her big Snape info dump here. I'm going to be honest. For me, it felt a little out of nowhere. I wish that there was more buildup to it. Am I mad about it? Not really, because we did get a lot of truths out of it. This is one of those ones that I was like, ooh, I really wish we'd had more time here to like really get into this stuff. I think it would have made her death at the very end way more heightened and dramatic. Not saying that it wasn't because Lord it was, but like it didn't have the same Liam effect by any means. Oh gosh, no. Yeah. I'm glad that we were right in the sense that Lilith had her own agenda. Like we were pretty on the mark with why she had Violet go into the writer's quadrant. We still don't know about what happened with her dad, but pretty positive that he was killed off and she knew it. And what was surprising to me was what we'll find out later with her deal with Zayden. Yes. I did not see that coming. And the fact that she called in a huge favor for him to help Violet reinforces that she ultimately does love her children above all else. Like, of course, we get that way later in the book in multiple ways. But imagine the kind of favors she could have called in and she chose her child. Now, as a mother, that is an absolute no-brainer, but this is the Sorengale that we're talking about here, which is, I'll call it the plot twist, but it's not really a plot twist, but it it wasn't a big, grand, oh my God, this is a reality of what happened, like we get with some other big plot twists. But it was kind of like a nice filling in the gaps, filling in some of those potholes, filling in some of the reasoning that we're missing, understandably, in Fourth Wing. So I'm glad we got that, I'll call it closure. But I do believe that the whole Lilith plot line throughout the book was lackluster. She's also just not a warm, fuzzy person. Like, think, like, of course, we're going to be more upset about Liam's death because it's fucking Liam. Here's what I will say. I, I understand why this info dump needed to be here, because for... Violet later on in the book not wanting to ask Zayden questions because she's afraid of learning the answers. And I understand why this needed to be here. The the favor was like, whoa. And I'm going to say this a lot in the Zayden POV stuff because it, it really felt like those two plots didn't 
talk to each other. And I was like, wait, wait. But I, I'll save that for that episode. It was really satisfying to get this confirmed. It felt a little like like you're saying lackluster. I do agree on that. But I do also think that to your point, it was because Lilith is just not a deep, warm and fuzzy person. But the satisfaction of getting that confirmed was really, really beautiful. It was not surprising other than the favor part. That was pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. It wasn't surprising. It was just like one of those like, you know, like when a square peg goes into a square hole and you're like, oh, or like when you peel the plastic off of a new refrigerator like it just felt like that it felt like oh this feels so good to finally learn what it looks like underneath and I loved that I really did love that I again was not expecting it in this book I thought that this is gonna be a way later book you definitely won this bet Lex but I I do really want to know more about the dad and I hope that Lilith dying still leaves open that mystery which I'm assuming it does. Where is his research? Like, I cannot believe that we didn't go there. Like, with all of their information searching, with all of this stuff, I I understand that his research was not directly related to the wards, and that was absolutely the pressing matter here. But what if there was research there? And she could have found it. I I know. I know. I I. I really hope we get that at some point in the series. I hope we do because I'll say the dragon lore was definitely like plot C in this. I mean, yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah. With, with Andarna and all of that, that ended up being a very big piece of the puzzle. But it was a pretty... But it was quick. It was a yeah, quick there, there really wasn't yeah. a lot of... Dragons were not a central theme of this book, which I didn't expect them to be because I do think we're still focusing on the humans part as we continue building the foundation of all the dragon stuff, which absolutely we got in this. We got more foundational information that was key to moving forward because Violet's dad's research is all around feather tails and whatnot. Like, okay, I can see that. I really do hope that we still get that, but I was surprised that we did not get any of that, get more on her dad in this book. Same. Yeah, but that 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 gives me hope again. Going back to my my initial thoughts, my spoiler free initial thoughts. This world is so much bigger than we thought it was going to be, and the fact that we got all of this now means that I hope, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get a lot more of that later. Like Violet's dad is not out of the picture. I think that he is going to play a major role in this series somehow. Obviously, oh. not an active role because Homeboy is dead. But like, or a, is he? Because at this point, people <laughs> saying, "Hey, he could be the big bad venom." It's like, what the fuck do I know? Sure, if he could he... be the big bad venom. You're a venom. You're a venom. You're a venom. I have a lot of feelings about people becoming venom, especially within the wards when they're bonded to dragons. If he becomes a venom. I'm, well, okay, so that does make me wonder, like, people who are not writers, who don't know how to channel, are still channeling. I mean, like, the the assassins are infantry cadets, but they are described as having a red rim around their eyes. Like, Wait, yeah. What? The ones in the tower, the academic tower, were described as having a red rim around their eyes. Back check me on this, I dare you. No, I believe you. I, I have not done my second read through yet. And again, we were reading it pretty quickly so that we could get the big points and whatnot and yeah. we'll fill in the details. But it does make me wonder like, I guess anyone can become a venom. And in that case, it's like, it, I, I. Well, really we know that though. We know that because the third brother became a venom oh, because he yeah. didn't have all those powers there. So that's the core reason why people become a venom. But now it's looking like with writers being able to become venoms, like, we're not done seeing people we know and love becoming venom and no. i am i have i have 0.000% idea on who 
is going to turn. I'm sure after our deep dive, we'll have a few more ideas, but I ha- I'm like you. I have so many questions. I-, I have lots of questions too, but let's go ahead and move into part two because holy moly, we got a whole other book now to talk about. <laughs> I- and I think that this is the case for both of us here. It took me a little while to get into part two, mostly because it is such a sh- big shift from Vizcaya. It's nice to have the still familiar grounding though, like with classes that teach the truth now and our characters who we know and love who are now here together. Um, but it definitely did take some getting used to in a new setting and especially with the introduction of the Flyer Cadets. I, I agree with you completely. I Boring's not the right word by any means. It, I also was up all night and this was like around midday the next day this was the closest I was to falling asleep while reading and that's that's not a dig it was just kind of like it was just coming off of the absolute sheer roller coaster that is 25 through 36 and then just being so in a new world that is much more slower pace which it needed to be we needed that slower pace to like understand what the fuck was going on it was just, it was a little jarring, but like not in a bad way. It was just, it definitely felt like a different book and like you had to kind of get into the, into the zone of it. I will say I woke the fuck up when we got to the second signet stuff. And it really wasn't until that, like, yeah, the cat tension, cat's uncle, that whole palace scene with like them fighting a venom. That was really cool. I can't wait to reread that. And I think that I'm going to enjoy part two a lot more on my reread when I'm able to like sit with the material a lot more and honestly understand a lot more. It was very overwhelming getting all this new info. So I think that like getting all that info under my belt, I am going to enjoy it a lot more. Once you get to the second signet stuff, you're wide the fuck awake and then it's just a roller coaster through the end of it. So that was really, really cool. And I understand why part two needed to be in this book because it did I think ending the ending that it needed to have the understanding Zayden's second signet which I do wonder if we're now going to get way more Zayden POVs because I'm assuming that was the big reason why we didn't I definitely liked part one more than I liked part two but the second half of part two made everything so worth it we do need to talk about Kat a little bit though I don't want to harp on her too much because one of our biggest gripes is that she exists was is that well just that she was like in your face in the book and it's like whoa girl you can dial it down just like old like not even like just her as a character it was like yes I loved getting the context of Zayden's sexual history like like not only that but like they were engaged they were betrothed like there's it gives us a peek into Zayden and his history that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise and I love that also his status I loved getting a peek into his status like so I was reading I, I didn't write this in the outline but I was reading an article that some listeners sent to us about like basically interviewing Rebecca after Iron Flame came out so she was able to talk about a lot of the spoilers and people were in in the article asking this exact question like why was Kat just a lot and what I loved Rebecca's response she said honestly Kat's kind of in this book as a test of feminism and here's what she means by this the fact that Kat is so power hungry she is not after a man she is after the crown yes and the the tear and door status that comes with it Rebecca was basically saying like that if Kat were a man, we would be having, we might be having very different experiences. Like, but Kat is a woman and she is very power hungry. Personally, I think if a guy was acting like this, I would have been like, sit the fuck down. Just like I said with Kat. However, I do like the fact that Kat is here almost as like a power hungry monster, I guess. But my likeness for Kat stops there. 
I do actually no, it does not stop there. It goes a little further. Her powers and getting to see that side of the mind fuckery. I think that was really important, especially as we're getting to know Griffins, who are experts in that kind of more mind, signets isn't the right word, obviously, but mind magic. And I think getting to see it at a level 45 when we needed a nine was, it, it was cool for the story. I think it was cool. That's where my likeness for Kat stops. And understanding that she, and that they end up having a bit of a truce later on, like she comes down a little bit and there's something of a truce with her offer you know violet her dagger and all of that like i get all of that like i but i'm I, we're talking a lot more in that concentrated part two like kind of like the first what first half of part two yeah. even her <laughs> friends and her sister were like shut up <laughs> which for me i was kind of like okay if your friends and your family are saying this like You could have taken it down a few notches, I think. That was where I was like, can you please stop? I do get where we needed it for like the dramatic tension between Zayden and Violet because like or else maybe it would have been too easy with them, which actually they were fighting nonstop. So I don't really know if I do believe that. But to be fair, Kat was the instigator of a lot of those fights. But it also like getting Violet off kilter. Now, I will say, Violet, you are so intelligent. Look at every, like, look at everything Zayden does for you. Like, actions speak louder than words here, especially Kat's words. Like, it, it does kind of feel like she was able to get thrown off balance a little, a little too easy. Now, obviously, Kat's powers did play a huge role into it, but Violet needed to feel those feelings for her to be able to exploit them. And that's where I'm like, how did she fall into this insecurity so quick and easy? But then I also I- put myself in her shoes and I'm like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. Me too. And I love that Zayden speaks for all of us when he voices that to her in their signature throne room (laughs) scene. And he is, he's like, he's interrogating her about why are you so insecure? What what have I ever done to make you feel insecure? And it's a very, I'll call it realistic conversation between the two of them because she knows that it's not, I'll say this, as soon as Zayden kind of gives her back the power, you know, because she kept being like, you know, Kat's making me feel all these things. Yeah. And he's like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Kat is amplifying what you're already feeling. And as soon as Violet was able to distinguish that and realize that she was in control of her feelings, that is when she was able to push back on Kat a little bit more. So I really like how Zayden came and helped Violet sort through all of that and help her understand that she's got the upper hand on this girl. <laughs> well, and then and then Violet being able to go up to her and being like, hey, that finger move, thanks. I yes! not Riddick died. I loved that so oh much. Oh, my God. And the fandom rejoiced. <laughs> it was so good. Now, here's another thing I will say, and this kind of goes into our next thing. Kat was almost a bridge for us. I don't even say Kat and Serena was almost a bridge to us for the Griffin Flyer world. And knowing two people in that world was really cool. And I think that that was necessary for us to get to know a lot of the information about the Griffin Flyers. Even Kat's best friend begins with an M. She she played a really central role in having like a Griffin Flyer friend. Maybe that'll be Dane's love interest instead of Cat. I am full on the Cat floor now. Like, nope, like, it is Dane and Cat there. That's my canon now. So, with the Griffin information, we get so, like so much Griffin information, and rather quickly. And that's not a that's not a criticism. It's just how the book pacing worked. I am still so overwhelmed by everything that we learned about the Griffins. And I feel that's, this is one of the big reasons why I feel like I need to read this book at least four times before starting the deep dive is because 
this I, I don't have kids though so I get to do that I'm like, like what the hell am I gonna do about these archive sections <laughs> we'll have many devoted to the Griffins because there's so much Griffin information that we'll be able to pull so many different things like the Griffin school I want to know more about that and we do get quite a bit but like it was so much to the point where you know us trying to get through this book in in a concentrated manner I I do not feel like all of that information even partial of this information has stuck in my brain so I have a lot of questions and mostly it's just like, what? It's not like theoretical, like, ooh, intelligent questions. It's just like, I don't remember what that said. <laughs> I, I am excited to go back and get this Griffin information under my belt. But for right now, I still feel like, whoa, 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 whoa. I will say the Uncle Manor, the cat and Serena's Uncle Manor scene, so awesome. I loved having that. I am also so excited for the fan art that's going to come oh. out of this because the fan art from Fourth Wing, it was beautiful, but it was mostly dragons and a war college and violet on the parapet and, and leather. leather. And that that's what we got. And yeah. I am so excited because again, our world is expanding. We're seeing beautiful places. Like Biscayeth is not beautiful at all. Like maybe in a harsh way that it is, but we're seeing palaces and luxury. And I'm just so excited to see the fan art that's going to come out of Iron Flame. I can't wait to see Violet's dress. And someone depicting her. And honestly, Mira's too. I would totally wear Mira's dress. I love that. I do love in that scene where Violet comes in and Zayden just like goes up to her and they just like have it out. Like not in not in a fighting way, like in a sexual way. And everyone's sitting down at the table and there's like 40 people and they're like, <laughs> like I tell you what, they are definitely some horny early 20 something year olds, college age students. My gosh, there is a war going on, people. Now, speaking of this, let's talk about the spice in this book. Lexi, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts on the spice in this book? I thought it was good because I said before, I you were like, we need four scenes. And I was just like, four? Like, really? And we got two big ones. And then the third that was equally as big, but in a different way. And it was, I was about to say delicious, but that's <laughs> quite the pun. <laughs> no, I think it applies here. <laughs> Tasted like chocolate cake is what it did. I can't look at you in the eyes for five years. It was good. It paced well. It wasn't like anything out of character or something like that. Like it, it was good. Two thumbs up, three fingers. So <laughs> boring. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm going to take over then. I fucking loved the spice in this book. The shower scene, I just got back to I just got to it in my reread and I was like this was perfect. It was perfect. I thought the timing of it was perfect where there was enough of that. Like, you know how in uh, our predictions episode, I mentioned like, I think that this is going to be, you know, like that tension and everyone kind of like build up again. And yes, we really got that. Like with the kissing and all that kind of stuff being like the, the, the appetizer to that scene, I thought was wonderful. But then even getting into part two, getting more of that they're settled in the relationship and seeing it from like that side of the sex scenes of like, oh, they just wake up in bed and she like goes down on him. Like, I love shit like that where it's just like, oh, this is just part of like their lives together. The throne scene, however, was I, I, so I'm not going to lie. I have almost mixed feelings about it. And here's why what? I, I know I, I can explain why it was wonderful. Reading it was a jam. I will reread that chapter many times in my lifetime. Zayden speaking into her mind and, and like almost projecting his feelings into her mind. I was so uh, distracted might be the right word. Distracted by it to the point because I was so on intrinsic watch. I think this is why I was kind of like, you know, because like he he has For this me, moment. It felt like a very intimate. It, it was him being extremely intimate with her. 
And that's where that's where I'm settling now. But the fact that he then like goes over and like grips the desk and has this like really like what the fuck did I just do moment. I thought he let his power slip too much and he like went into her. And I was like, wait. So for me, I think the reason I was distracted or like the conflicting with it is because I was so focused on that second half of the scene where I was like, what what does this mean? What happened here? And And so I think that it did take away from the spicy meatball that was earlier in that scene which is why I'm excited to go back and reread it because I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more without being on like heightened intrinsic watch maybe I wish there was one more scene I do I I could have done four maybe even a fifth maybe even ten but it felt natural nothing about them felt forced or like they were taking a pause from the story to like go bang one out each spicy scene had a very particular purpose and I love yes. that yeah that's all that's all I'll say for now I can't wait to get to the throne scene on my reread because I do think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more not being on such heightened intensive watch speaking of which Nicole so before I let Nicole just like go crazy here I need to <laughs> share with you all so When I got to the end of the chapter, just picture me. I am laying in bed. I am exhausted because it's been a crazy few days. I have my earbuds in. It's like 11 midnight or something like that where it's like I'm able to shut my eyes anyway. And when I got to the end of the chapter where Violet asks, what's your second signet? I bolted up in bed and I was like, fuck, there is only one option. And Nicole was right. Nicole is fucking right. And I immediately go to text her and it's like, I had not gotten to the next chapter yet. It was like, as soon as I heard a second signet, because my whole thing was, I ultimately did not think that the marked ones had a second signet and therefore Zayden would not have a second signet. I thought that he had a much more powerful shadows wielding and that was what made him an intensic in so many ways. And so I particularly love that this popular theory came to light in a way that we didn't predict. We all assumed that he would have a second signet because all the marked ones had a second signet. And I didn't think he did, like I said, because I didn't think that the marked ones ultimately had a second signet, which I think we can now assume that they don't, but it wasn't addressed in this book, but just the emphasis on Zayden having a second signet and that being so unique, I think that it's safe to say that they do not. And and then of course he has a second signet because of the same dragon bonding with a direct descendant of him. I love that callback to the info drop from Fourth Wing. We've talked a lot about that and we speculated about the meaning and Give Zayden a second signet was not on our bingo card whatsoever. (laughs) All right, take it away, Nicole. (laughs) You know those moments when you read a book and you just have an out-of-body experience? This whole slew of chapters was that for me. So picture this. They were in the cave. I'm, I'm listening while I'm cooking dinner. This was one of the few times I wasn't listening and reading at the same time because that's just how I decided to gobble up Iron Flame. So but weird. I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Here's my deal. If I had just physically read, I would still be reading. I am such a slow reader, but I also didn't want to be coloring because I was afraid I was going to fall asleep. So I wanted to have the book in front of me. Also, then I could see italics versus non-italics. Like when I tell you I was on such heightened intrinsic watch during this book I cannot even tell you because something in my gut just knew that it was going to happen which let me get to this they're in this cave and all this kind of stuff and I'm not gonna lie I was kind of like him ha like okay a cave and then Sloan again I'm only listening and I'm cutting vegetables Sloan says people who bond a dragon that someone in their family has also bonded get two signets or go mad I slipped did not cut myself thank god dropped (laughs) everything I was doing, sprinted to grab my book, hit the 30 seconds back button several times and like read it and wept. In that moment, I was like, 
oh my God, we're getting it here. We're getting it in this book. And then when Zayn and Violet are fighting and she says, what's your second signet? Like I still, like I have chills all up and down my arms, even though (laughs) like that was just one of those moments in books where it was like, this was perfection. Like 10 out of 10, no notes. And I haven't gotten to this part in my reread. So I, I'm so excited to get to the the intrinsic info dump. But much like you, Lexi, I love that it's it's this major theory that's been dividing the fandom and all this kind of stuff. And we get it in a way that was not expected. To your point of, yes, it is a way that's not expected because it's not the marked ones that have second right. seconds, which I do have questions in regards to that Liam and Ice and everything Me like too. that. But that's for a different episode. But I love that it's also not just like an intrinsic. It's a type of intrinsic. And getting to see this in action also like during the meeting where like Zayden was able to read one of their intentions and getting to tell Violet what was happening in real time. That was so great. And I think it was really important for us as readers to see it in action so we know how this works. But one of my favorite parts, and this is just absolutely brilliant from Rebecca Yaros, is when he's Uh, confessing is not the right word because he doesn't really confess she figures it out but in that scene Violet has this like very small paragraph of like kind of thinking through things in her head nothing none of it is in italics (laughs) I'm gonna get on my high horse about the italics thing again and Zayden responds to that Rebecca is in that moment confirming that every time he's responded to a non-italics thought in her head that that was him using his intrinsic powers and not their bond I that was perfect. It was, I like, yes, I'm excited because, oh my God, this thing that I have literally been so open on the internet about dying on a hill about did come true. But as a, but I'm going to put all of that aside because really and truly as a reader, this was just such an amazing book moment to get to experience that. And this is one of those things where I'm like, I will never be able to read this for the first time again. And that really sucks. Like yeah. it's like getting to reread the Brennan cliffhanger at the very end of fourth wing, like never getting to read that again is definitely tragic. Now I have so many questions <laughs> because he's not going to use this with Violet. He says he's no longer going to use this in Violet. How does that work? Does he choose when to use it? Is she going to have to have her shields up with him all the time because they can't speak mind to mind in that way? Also, I don't think that's going to happen. I definitely think that was foreshadowing that he is going to use it at some point and it's going to be a huge rift for them. He is also part Venon now. I'm assuming that the reason that the Venon were so gung-ho about going after him and also I'm assuming probably Violet is because he has two signets and Violet is going to get two signets. I have so many questions as to how this works now with him being part Venon, how this works in real time. Like, I mean, I, I'm going to go into it a lot in the Zayden POV chapters, because again, this is another thing like the Lilith deal that I was like, these are not talking to each other. Like these, I, I need these things to talk to each other in order for me to understand the full depth of meaning. I do from from what I'm gathering, this was the big Rebecca. I will not write more Zayden POV chapters until we learn this information. I don't know. I have so many questions as to how this works. I love, again, that it's intentions, not full-on intrinsic, but what qualifies as an intention. I know he kind of explains that, but I want to see it more in action. So, I mean, I'm just like, I'm spiraling. <laughs> That's basically where I'm at. Last thing I'll say about this is it just like how touching it is for Sigil she chose Zayden over Taryn in this and you don't do that like Taryn has made it very clear to Violet that he does not keep secrets from Sigel because she is his bonded mate and when he finds out that Sigel kept the secret from him 
he is truly hurt. Yeah. And Sigil had to make that decision to keep Zayden secret. And I think that when Violet finds out that not even Taryn knew about this, it's like, because at first she's pissed off at him about it. And it's like, girl, no, you can't be mad at him for not telling no. you this. Like, I'm sorry, you can't. She realizes that and all of that. But I just like the whole, like, that was just cherry on top about Sigil not telling Taryn. Yes. Now, here's what I will say. Now that Zayden POVs, I'm assuming, are on the table, I need one of him discovering this segment. Me too. Oh my gosh. And I bet you're right. Like we were talking, we were speculating a while back about like who taught him about how to become an attack, like how to hone in his power. And I bet you anything, it was Sigal. Yeah, I think so. Oh, that was just so fucking satisfying. I know it was for you. I, I am like such a big sister. I am so happy for you that you were right and seeing you glow like this. Like my big sister heart is happy. And at the same time, it's like, God fucking damn it. Nicole was right. I want to stitch together the like the viral intrinsic video and just have me like putting a crown or something on my head. Again, I'm, I'm going back to the fact that like, yes, I'm I'm so excited that this this theory that I and many people in the fandom were like willing to die on a hill about. I am way, way, way more happy that we got to see it out on the page in a perfection way. So I, I, I do want to be very clear. Yes, I'm happy because I was right. But I'm way more happy because this was such a cool moment for us all to experience as a fandom. Way more happy about that. We have so many thoughts as we head into the final battle and the ending's revelation. So again, please remember, we are just barely scraping the surface here. We have only read this book once so far. We need to process it a little bit more. These are our initial reactions. Hi, don't even know where to start. Let's start with a big obvious one. And Darna being the seventh breed of dragons. Like I said at the top of the episode, that there were a lot of predictions that ended up being both true and excitingly unique. And this was definitely one of them. She's technically the head of her den because she's the only one. And I can't wait to learn more about her history. It's like she's not quite royal, but she, she is a dragon version of royalty, whatever that ends up mean. And I'm so excited to learn more about that. This is, again, like this was a teaser for the rest of the books and up being called the Empyrean series and why this is ultimately a series about dragons. Ah, I'm so excited. You all know me and my dragon stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh. This is another part that I need to reread, much like the Griffins, like 45 more times before I feel like I actually understand it because everything was moving so fast. It's a battle scene. Of course, it's going to move really fast. The second, however, that Violet was like, she's purple. I was like, oh my God, we're getting to see this. I mean, obviously purple also with a wing of being a chameleon. I have so many questions, but I don't feel unsatisfied. Like I don't right. feel like, wait, no, we didn't get the information I wanted. Now, to be fair, I did want a lot more Andarna in this book and I am bummed we didn't get it. But looking back, I'm like, oh, I understand why now. Now, her having like a non-fully developed wing and stuff like that, first and foremost, I think that bonds uh, her and Violet in a beautiful way. And I also think that that's going to be one of those things where it's like, I think she's going to overcome it some way and her and Violet are going to fly together. No doubt in my mind. Maybe Violet will help fix her in some way. You mean using a second signet that might be putting energy back into things? I have way more to say on that, but I'm going to hold off for that. In we a are, yeah, we're, I don't think we're going to be getting into Violet's second segment today because, well, I'll just say this. Rebecca dropped a major hint that we are going to get Violet's second segment in book three. 
and that we got a lot of hints about it in this book. So don't worry, friends. We will parse through that. Oh, yeah, Nicole, I'll show you that interview. We're going to be watching that like a hawk in our deep dive. Yes, and I have a lot of things to say about it, but not for today. Back to Andarna. I'm sensing major prophecy vibes between her and Violet. The fact that she didn't hatch until Violet turned 18. I have a lot of questions about this. How did she know? Why did she know that Violet was special? Again, hopefully we can pick up on some of these bits in our reread and do some really fun theorizing. I agree with you about, I was surprised about her wings being underdeveloped or, and I, and that she will never bear a rider. And so first of all, it's like, okay, like that kind of solves the plot hole. Who is Violet going to ride? Like, obviously now it is going to be Taryn. I think that's Chekhov's, you can't bear a rider, AKA you're going to bear a rider someday. I think it's going to be in a really heightened dramatic moment that she's going to have no other choice but to ride in Darna. And it's going to be like, you know, very how to train your dragon epic orchestra music moment. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Moving away from Indarna, I again, I don't even know where to start with the Wardstones and all the magic and the journals and just all of it. I'm so excited to dive into all of it. I, I think it was all so cool. I love that we got more magic in this book, so much more. And what I will say is this. Oh my God, Jack killing his own dragon to break them and then how they ultimately got them powered back with Andarna being the key and how she was finally able to breathe fire. Like it was so climactic and that whole battle sequence from what like chapter 60 on, it was really, really cool and really captivating. I'm just going to need to read it several more times to fully understand everything that happened just like the final battle scene but times 10 from fourth wing <laughs> well that that and the fact that lilith is now the iron flame of Bezgaia, like that i wept for like 10 minutes after reading that that whole scene with the wards with it was per- it was perfect again i do feel like i need to reread it a lot because like chapter 36 and fourth wing i was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but it that scene was like she topped the end of fourth wing Oh, absolutely. Like blew it out of the water. So fucking beautiful. I do have a question though. Where the fuck did Mira go? Like, I'm very worried about Mira. Is this the beginning of the three brothers prophecy where one of the sibling leaves? I don't think she's going to like leave off to just like go become a then and da 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 da. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. But why did she leave her family? Like, I have so, I, I have so many questions. Like, where did she go? I, so I thought for sure in the big revelation in chapter 65, because I hadn't finished it yet, and Nicole told me I had to have my reactions recording at that time. So as Violet is looking at all the carnage and she sees all of the different dragon colors, I thought the big revelation was going to be that we were going to see Mira's dragon having died. And it was going to be that Mira was spending her last few moments of life to go and be with her family. And that, you know, she came across her mom and, and all of that sequence. And then when Mira isn't around in chapter 65 it's like oh she just died and nobody knew i don't feel like that's the case so no because we didn't see tiny and i her dying off page doesn't feel right i don't think that's going to happen but that still leaves open the question it's very very ominous that she's missing at the end that is very noted and we are watching out for that and we will absolutely be theorizing yeah i want to look more at what Mira's body language and like emotional language was like towards the end of Iron Flame and I feel like with that we're gonna get a few more hints but I'm I'm confused before we get into the big 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 cliffhanger I do have this question they're talking at the end of Iron Flame like they're just gonna go back to Bisgayeth next year and I'm like how 
how do you do that after this experience? And I, I mean, they're still in their second year. So that's something that I'm, I'm very confused about. And it feels very like this big dramatic thing. And then, oh, let's go back to school. Like it just, it kind of felt like, but knowing Rebecca, it will definitely not be that way. Now, to be fair, they do say just going back. So does that mean they're going back to Navarre and working together? Or does that mean they're going back to Beskayeth? Uh, weird. I don't know if we read the same ending here because I was like, they're going back to Arisha. Like, <laughs> No, they, I think they were pretty adamant about not going back to Arisha because of the wards not working there. That's right. I need to reread. That's Word. what I need same. to do. <laughs> same. Before I that, comment on that. That just <laughs> felt, this is, I, I, that just felt unclear. Now, to be fair, I was on my many hour of being up all night and reading. And I was very much in the, oh my God, I am so emotionally distraught by this book. So I could have also misinterpreted some things to take this with a grain of salt. But that was something that I was like, wait, what? So I'm curious what this is going to lead into. You know how we we had our predictions about how is Iron Flame going to open up? This leads into a lot of questions of like, how is book three going to open up? I just don't I just don't even know. Uh, Well, let's finally get to it. Let's talk about the ending of this book. I'm just going to start by saying a lot of people didn't like it. Like straight up, not just like I've, our comment section, our DMs have been people outright saying that they don't like this book because of that ending and that the cliffhanger with a fourth wing was a happy cliffhanger and this one is a bad negative hit cliffhanger and people are the internet is pissed off about this so let's hear your thoughts nicole i fucking loved it i, I did too fucking loved it now loved and enjoyed are two very different words i appreciate from a storytelling aspect now here's the deal this book shocked me Jack fucking Barlow being alive. I will never, is- ever fucking get over that, Nicole. I am never going to get over that. I'm going to need a big shirt that says Jack fucking Barlow. And I will never wear it because I don't want to, but we'll it does it. need to exist. Yes, we will burn it as a per- personal symbolism. This book shocked me so much. But this was something fucking else. Because the other shocks were things that we theorized about, right? A lot of them, at least, I will and say. We well, no. thought that there was going to be a I'll say a bigger death, a emotional death. Now, please, we didn't even talk about Lilith's death very much in this episode. Well, it it was it was Lilith dying. Like we weren't very emotionally connected to her. Exactly. And but like the way that it was the buildup and the spoiler, not spoilers that were like flooding and you all don't understand. Like we literally could not open up anything of our social media, our Discord, nothing, email, nothing, people. We're very excited to talk about the book. Which is awesome. And we love being that catalyst for people. (laughs) But but we we needed some spoiler-free stuff. But anyway, I was aware that something very traumatic was going to happen at the very end. And I thought for sure it was going to be Mira dying. I thought it was going to be one of our core characters. I thought it was going to be Sloane having to sacrifice, being forced to sacrifice herself to burn out for siphoning. Like I, like I, that was where all of my mind was going. And then this happened and like, it's like, oh, here's the deal like of all the many many theories that we've received that we've talked about that I've parsed through on the internet I've never seen this one now if it exists I'm I gold star for you that's amazing I did not see it neither Lexi or I did and if you sent it into us and you're saying excuse me I I told you that we apologize we have seen literally hundreds and hundreds of theories come in from our listeners and not a single one that we saw said Zayden becomes a venom at the end of this book. <laughs> now, here's what I will say. 
this ending now satisfying I did, I was not satisfied at the end of this book as a Zayden lover no so here's what I'm saying as a Zayden lover as a so emotionally connected to these characters as a reader and an ex- absorber of storytelling I fucking loved this ending because this to me again I'm going back to this whole this world is so much bigger and more complicated than we thought it was and this type of ending tells me Rebecca's fucking got this. She is about to take us on a ride that we thought we were theorizing correctly. We thought Dane was going to have this big redemption arc in book three and da, 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 and all this kind of stuff. That all happened earlier in the series than we thought, which means there is so much more coming our way. Now, here's what I will say in regards to this, because I am going to touch on Violet's second signet a little bit. Now, to be fair, this is without us going, doing our deep dive and really parsing through. So this is my, I'm going off of what our predictions of Violet's signet, second signet is going to be with like that sun and absorbing energy and giving energy back into things. If she is that type of channeler, could she give life back into Zayden and that be how he is quote unquote cured? Now, this also raises a lot of questions of are the Venom attacking and and targeting, I should say, people with two signets? Because I think so. I I think that there's a lot more to Zayden and Violet being very much on Venom radar. Now, here's what I'm really, yeah, I'll say worried. Here's what I am really worried about. There's this trope in romance where, especially fantasy romance with morally gray characters, that the guy is like, I'm not good for you. I'm going to be a bad influence, whatever. And they peace out and and leave. And I really, really, really hope that that is not the case here. Because I thought that that was his POV chapter. He was, I thought so he, too. He was saying, I love you. He like, he, he looked at Violet, who was just sleeping, which yeah. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> pause. I need to talk about this for two seconds here. Okay. So the way that chapter 65 ends from in, in Violet's point of view and how it ends with her essentially noticing that Zayden's got red rimmed eyes. And then we jump to Zayden's POV, kind of like a quick flashback slash dream and then he wakes up and it's like it's later on that same day you know you know in the middle of the night or or whatever time that might be and Violet's sleeping next to him and so I relaxed chill (laughs) and I'm sure that something happened between them two because they can't ever be in bed and nothing not happen hey um excuse me what happened in between the end of her chapter and his chapter because did she not notice? <laughs> no, she definitely, because we're in her head and she sees the red eye. Now, here's what I will say, though. Same fucking thing with Brennan. We get the same thing with Brennan in the Brennan cliffhanger in. Now, the, the timing of it's a little differently. I've, I consider that to be completely different because that is because that's not the end of her. Like there is a stretch of time of her after her realizing that he's a venom and then hours later they're in bed together. Okay, that is fair. That is very fair. And she and we can assume that she noticed that he's a venom. Doesn't he say something about like I like I no. am venom? Like no, he does. I We're getting the, the book. book right here. So the end of chapter 65, I'm reading off my book right here. Me, he whispers a faint almost indistinguishable red ring emanating from his gold-flecked onyx irises. You should be scared of me. That to me is enough confirmation of like, you get this. I'm a Venom. Yes. Like a faint, almost indistinguishable red ring. 
So does that, that to me says like, is he able to stick around and like, no one's going to notice? Like, is he just going to suddenly go guy liner on us and just like That's- wear black eyeliner? I'd love that. Now here's, here's what I will say. I, cause I have a million questions, but I'm going to save it to, to my big ones. Is this the, you're going to be the death of me or is it going to go further? Because we do get several versions, I'm going to say, of death of me in this book. We get obviously many in Fourth Wing. Is this something along the lines of she, this is how she kills me is because I'm, I'm channeling from the source becoming Venom to save her because that's why he ultimately did it. So I, dear Lord, I hope so. I hope that this is it. I hope that this is it and it's, it's done. Not, like, Nicole, I'm telling I you right know, now. It's not. <laughs> I'm telling you right it now. Is. <laughs> it is. It's done. It is. Yeah. He can't die from Sigale dying as we learned from Jack <sighs> killing his own dragon and then staying alive. So now we have confirmation that Zayden's life is now tethered beyond Sigale. Fuck, I did not even think about that. Do you think Zayden's going to make it out of the series alive now? knowing this information. I don't know. I think that if he does die, it would not be until book five. I think he is going to die, but somehow come back to life. I have to, I have to believe that he is going to die and then come back and be fully non-venonified. Venonified. I I am so excited for us to to theorize on all of this. I am very curious about how this impacts his relationship with Sigale because as I have said, it is absolutely shocking to me that you can become a Venon if you're already channeled to a dragon. Like that I think was my biggest shock takeaway from this book. He says that she's been very quiet since the battle in his POV chapter, but he can still use his signets. So we can assume that they are absolutely still bonded. I just have so many questions about them becoming venoms within the wards. Like we've already touched on this a lot. We'll keep talking about it. But yeah, very curious to see how this is going to impact his relationship with Sigale. And of course with Violet, because as, as far as I'm concerned, after reading that last bit of the chapter there and knowing that she is in his bed later on, I am going to make the initial assumption here that she does not know where she is actively not letting herself believe it. I'm going to go more with the latter on that one. I, I don't think that she doesn't know. I think she definitely does know. I, I, I think that she's saying, la, 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 this is not happening. Like, I, I am, I'm just going to pretend like everything's fine, which they don't feels do very that, unviolent. Though. That's not violent. Like, I, I, that, that to me raised way more questions and not in a satisfying like oh my god I have so many theory questions that was like a this feels out of character yeah that was my big thing was the uh, again I'm really hung up on that however many hours (laughs) between when she had that revelation about his eyes being red or the around his eyes and him waking up in there in bed together well in Zayden's POV he says like they were waiting for Sawyer to get out of surgery, which we didn't even talk about Sawyer fucking losing his leg. He was hanging out with people. Yeah. I don't think they don't know because nobody noticed with Jack, even though he had a little bit of like, you know, maybe it's allergy season or something like that. Maybe maybe he had a little bit too much of that weed that he was smoking, you know? Oh, is he just going to be high all the time on Shurum? I love that. But like, I do wonder... Because I don't think Zayden's going to just like peace out Squirrel Scout and go to the Venon. I don't think he's going to like concede and just like go join his brethren. Which to again, that means I guarantee you that Sigale would say, nope, bye. I'm staying right here. You can go. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how this is going to work with Zayden going back into society, quote unquote. I don't think people are going to notice. I think that they're going to hide this, but I think so too. And I think, and again, that raises the question, how many people within Biscayeth and within Navarre are Venon? Well, I mean, Lilith, even like Violet said that one time she came home from battle and her eyes were rimmed red. And And it was because she was, yeah, it was because she was tired. But again, that brings out that whole point of, I don't think Lilith's a Venon. I do not think Lilith's a Venon. I should be very clear. I think that that was placed in there for, do you know? Do you not know? Like here's yeah. like, you're never certain. And I'm, I'm terrified. Here's where I'm going to bring it back to this whole Jack fucking Barlow thing. It now makes so much sense, sense to me why he was brought back into the story. Jack was here to show the audience that A, you can still be bonded and channeled from the source. We needed to know how to, like that worked. <laughs> I know. But like, we needed to know that that was a possibility before finding out Zayden was a Venon. Jack was like our, our, our teaser intro to this huge big info dump. We also learn from this whole Jack coming back is Venon can exist within the wards. Confused about that, but okay. C, C, whatever letter or number I am on, leadership was trying to find a cure, quote unquote, or at minimum control the Venon. So he was their experiment. Is Zayden now going to be taken into custody? And are we going to have a rescue mission now where the roles were reversed? Try to take Zayden into custody. Oh, I fucking want to see that. I don't think that's Perfect. And last but not least, D slash four, this exact quote from Jack. Welcome to our fucked up family. Guess we're brothers now. That worries me so fucking much. And again, I think that we're going to see a lot more Jack Barlow in in book three, which again, it tells me Rebecca has a, a ride for us that we thought, we naively thought we were so fine with. We were so good. And nope, we're about to be taken on a ride that we do not even know. So now seeing why, at least in my head canon, why Jack fucking Barlow was brought back, I'm not mad about it. Now, I'm worried. This is a terrifying ending. However, so fucking satisfying as a absorber of stories. That is like, I mean, that's all I can say. We are going to have so much fun theorizing all of it. We are going to have so much fun diving deep into this book and this text and helping all of us collectively understand it a little bit better and to look at that roadmap ahead and, you know, have fun theorizing, even though we should know now from experience that this is just for fun, everybody, just for fun. We're speaking of our predictions and theorizing. You all have been along on this ride with Nicole and I, as we've been having so much fun going tit for tat with our bets and predictions and all of that. So we had a, in the Iron Flame predictions episode, we had an entire slew of predictions. Some of the predictions we did agree on, those are going to stay safely in that episode. However, the ones that we disagreed on, that is the ones where we made bets on. We had a few things that we bet each other and what we win, I win, Lexi wins, all that kind of stuff. We are right now going to go through all the ones we disagreed on and what the person wins as a result of getting that bet correct. And also some of them, we just don't, we did not get the answer from this book. So we are not counting those. But starting with this first one, we're like 99% sure. So I will take this back if absolutely necessary. 
but I don't think it's you going can't to be take this back with the bet you gave me. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay, so we can guess the marked ones don't have a second signet. Of course, this raises a lot of questions for us that we will get to at a later time. But this is based on the plot around Zayden having a second signet and it being such a special and unique occurrence. So I win because I did not ultimately think the marked ones were going to have a second signet. And for this, you, Nicole, get to watch three episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I know most of you here are like, wow, that sounds like a lovely evening. So it is for me as well. But Nicole is a different breed and she absolutely refuses to watch anything that is not fantasy. And especially something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. This is not her cup of tea, folks. And because of that, I am also going to make sure that besides the musical episode, I'm going to pull out the most cringy, awkward, uncomfortable episodes to laugh at her as she watches it. Can I at least be like two glasses of wine in while I do There's always wine in involved of course <laughs> thank god all right you're gonna be seeing the nightman cometh soon enough i have no idea what that means but i trust you i fucking won <laughs> satan is an intrinsic i know he's a type of intrinsic it does not matter lexi i am picking out your family's christmas outfits and theme for this year at christmas and i cannot wait for the photo. <laughs> We're going to have to have some parameters here. Like, I I will keep it PG. That's the only perimeter I have. I can guarantee you we are going to have a SpongeBob-themed Christmas. Like, that was what J- I was telling Jake about this, and I was, like, warning him, like, hey, our <laughs> Christmas theme is not going to be the cute and fun one that I had planned for us. He's like, oh, God, we're going to have a SpongeBob-themed Christmas, aren't we? And I was like, ah, oh, shit. I, I already have a SpongeBob-themed Christmas sweater. I will. I am so excited. Now, I'm not saying it's SpongeBob, but you Bet your sweet Bippy. I am doc. I'm documenting every single thing around this. So for those of you who don't know, Lexi and her family always do a Christmas theme, and the entire family, all four of them, all wear Christmas pajamas that are associated with. And theme. we do like our. And we have a family Christmas ornament every single year, so we have it like on theme with that. I do like a Christmas Eve basket for our children, and so we usually have like that theme around that as well. And then like our Christmas wrapping paper. It's just like a fun thing that's unique for every year. And again, like we've only been doing this for two years because I only have children who are up to two years old. So (laughs) I am picking the Christmas theme. So the theme also has to be enough where there will be stuff that I can do wrapping paper, Christmas or like it has to be a universal theme that can carry over. That's the big happily. Oh, I can't. Okay. People, if you have any ideas, send them in to me because I am, I'm going to be reeling. I'm so excited. So now Nicole, you put this as you winning, but I'm going to challenge that we both win and therefore it cancels it out here because yes, uh, we were both right that we do get a God fucking damn it Dane moment where he cups her face. And you were indeed right that the situation for the memory read is out of the Violet's control. And what I thought was that, yes, it was going to be a God fucking damn it Dane moment, but she was going to let it happen to her to control the situation herself. And in a way she does. She knows that it's absolutely going to be coming. So she controls what he sees and takes control of the very bad situation that she's in. So with that, I think that we both in a very fun way win. I actually do too. That was a very satisfying moment for us both to both to have that there. Yes. Therefore, moving on. So the next bet is, does Violet's mom know that Brennan is alive? I said no. Lexi said yes. She, it was 
pretty fucking clear that she was very surprised to learn that Brennan is alive. So, Lexi, you are watching House of the Dragon with me. We will make a nice night. We'll order takeout. And we I will I will say this. We can skip the birth scenes. Thank you. You're welcome. All I need. (laughs) I'm already picking out your Christmas theme. I have to make it a little easier on you for the rest. I know how important that is to you. All right, moving forward. So Violet does not get her second signet. Nicole thought she would. I thought she would not. So therefore, guess what you get to do, Nicole? Babysitting night. We're going to go out on a date night and come back whenever we want to. (laughs) So long as I can bring my husband, who is apparently the baby whisperer for your I never want to sleep ever daughter. (laughs) I know. She really doesn't sleep, does she? All right. Similarly, Will, Violet, Wright, and Darna. While I am so sad that I won this one, but I am happy that Nicole has to buy celebration drinks for our double date night. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) And no, our crew still doesn't go to the Vale, and that includes Violet. There was a part at the battle sequence that they were going to be like protecting the Vale. I definitely still read that as a they were not going to be in the veil protecting it but no matter what violet was not part of that crew she went down into the wardstones there so nicole give me my barbie i you beheaded all of my barbies back when we were children and i just want a barbie to symbolize my nostalgia because i was a barbie girl and i want my barbie you know what? I, I honestly am kind of surprised I have not already bought you a Barbie as a as like a peace offering from that in childhood. So I will concede. But Ree does find out about what happens to Violet and the crew at War Games. She doesn't find out for a while, but okay. She still finds out. She does still two. find out, yes. And you know what? <laughs> that whole she doesn't find she finds out midway or like I'd say two thirds of the way through part one. It's not like it's at the very end of the fucking book. So nice try. (laughs) So Lexi, my car from sitting outside your house has fucking sap on it. And guess who gets to wash the sap off? (laughs) Oh, I'm going to the car wash. I will pay for that to happen. I'm not going to do it. The sap has to be off. (laughs) What? Okay, fine. Thank you. That's a dick job. Uh, no, you do not get to pass this off to your husband. You are doing this. Passing the baby stuff off to yours. <laughs> Only because she screams in my arms. He somehow knows how to talk to her, and I don't know how he does. Oh, man. All right, moving on. Book two does not end on a cliffhanger of Best Guyeth getting called to the front. My gosh, how naive are we? <laughs> so I have a question here for this one. Are you going to be with our family for Thanksgiving, or are you going to be leaving right afterward? I have no idea. I We have not talked about it, so TBD on that one. Okay, well, assuming that you are with our family for Thanksgiving, you get to do my cleanup. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to be with you guys for Thanksgiving. All right. Then in that case, I have a second one here. Part two. If you are not with us for Thanksgiving or if you have to leave immediately afterward, which you really shouldn't. You got to help out with the cleanup. If you aren't. (laughs) Way to chastise me on a decision I haven't even made yet. Just planting the seed. Then I get to pick out your birthday cake flavor. Are you going to be nice about it? Or would you pick out something? Well, I still have to eat it. So of course I'm (laughs) something I want. But yes, I get to do it. Last but not least, there were three sex scenes, Lexi. Not two. Thank fucking God. There, there were two intercourse ones, but I know that we were we were very. Uh uh-uh. I put that. It. I know you mm-hmm. did. I know you did. I'm just calling it out anyway. So I put. T- no, 
Re- you really do not count oral sex as sex. No, I do, especially the way that Zayden did it. My yeah, gosh. he did. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lexi, you are taking a shot of Malort, and I am not telling you what's in it, and I cannot wait to film it and post it on the internet. I'm, I have so much self-restraint right now without with not Googling it. Like, I always would, but... I'm being a team player here and not doing that. Proud of you. Thank you for doing that. I Thank very you. much appreciate it. Oh, uh, my God. Well, friends, we are so excited to now be on the other side here with you all as we start diving so deep into Iron Flame, pressing through this new material, and we are so excited. But before we start those deep dives, we have a lot of other stuff going on here. So, Please do remember that tomorrow, November 11th at 3 p.m. Eastern time, our Patreon members will join us for a monthly live Q&A. We will absolutely be talking all things Iron Flame. Please do not join us if you have not finished the book. We will have a recording of it and you can ask us questions on our Discord ahead of time. Why are you here if you haven't finished the book? You should not be here if you haven't (laughs) finished the book. We're at the end of a two-hour episode. We are going to be spending all next week, Lexi and I, planning out our Iron Flame deep dive, how things are going to work, what chapter breakdowns, all that kind of stuff we're going to be doing. But on Monday, we are releasing our interview with Jennifer L. Armentrout. And yes, it was fucking amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. It is not spoilers from any of her series. We do have a few like questions about, you know, characters and stuff like that, but none of it is plot spoilers. She was a real champ about that. Then the following day, Tuesday, the 14th, we are releasing our Zayden POV bonus episodes. So excited to talk about those, especially now with Iron Flame. They will have Iron Flame spoilers in them. Obviously now having read Iron Flame, we can't not pull from that text. And then, of course, the following Monday, November 20th, is when we are starting our deep dives on Iron Flame. And from there, we will be doing our usual cadence of a new episode every single Monday with an occasional bonus episode. But mostly, we will be focusing just on those deep dives. Mm-hmm. And if you are a Patreon Dragon writer, you do get those episodes on Sunday rather than Monday, which speaking of which, in case you missed it, we are on Patreon. This is where you get our Discord. This is where you get episodes early. You get our deep dive outlines. You also get the Q&A that we're going to be doing tomorrow and every monthly Q&A after. Link is in the show notes to join our Patreon. And if you're not already following us on TikTok and slash or Instagram, what are you doing? The main party is on TikTok, but we do a lot of fun behind the scenes stuff on Instagram stories. You can follow us at Fantasy Fangirls Pod on either platform. We also love those of you who have rated and or reviewed the show. Please continue to do this. If you have not, whatever platform you are listening slash watching on, please rate, review, or hit that like and subscribe button if you are on YouTube. And last but not least, share this with your fellow Iron Flame friends, those people you had a group text with who you were just screaming in all caps when you got to the end of the book, please share this episode with them so we can all collectively scream together. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to start this new journey and huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. I don't know if I'm quite to huzzahs yet. I'm still in. (laughs) Bye, everyone. We love you. Bye.